question is for the Minister of Middle Class Prosperity, who is a member of Parliament here in Ottawa. What is the average cost for a home in the City of Ottawa? Clear question. The Honourable Minister. Uh, Mr. Speaker, my uh, title is the Minister of Tourism and Associate Minister of Finance. I'm sure my Honourable colleague across the way knows that. But let me say, Mr. Speaker, 156,000 jobs. It's like it's like it's a joke, and it only gets worse. I mean, you just you think to yourself, did I not understand something here? In Ottawa, what is the average cost for a home in the city of Ottawa? What is the average cost for a home in the city of Ottawa? And after he gets offended that he was not referred to by his holy title, tourism and associate minister of finance. I'm sure my honourable colleague. What's the average price of a home? But let me say, Mr. Speaker, 156,000 jobs. The Honourable Member for Carleton. The Minister of Treasury Board uh, can uh, help uh, by telling us the average cost of a house in uh, the, average the nation's capital. cost of a house in Ottawa. The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, I want to say 106% of jobs have been recovered since the lowest point of the pandemic. Member for Carleton. What is the uh, average increase in house prices since this government took, house, uh, took office uh, uh, in 2015? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, Canada's economy contracted by 17% between February and April 2020, the largest and most sudden contraction in real GDP since the Great Depression, and we're already back. Member for Carl. It's, it's, it's not funny. It's not funny. It's gosh darn enraging. It, it gets worse, if you can believe it. Just the average house price. The Honourable Minister. 5.5 million Canadians lost their jobs, and they're all back. Member for Carleton. And what would they pay for the average house? <laughs> the, the In 2020, unemployment rated more than doubled from a pre-pandemic level of five. It's like a broken record. Uh, there's words that I, I can't use because, you know, you get cancelled for using those words these days. It's, it's like something just bro- is broken in this guy's flipping head. Average price for a house in Ottawa. A spoiler alert. It's expensive. Why? Because a lot of the people in Ottawa live on inflated government salaries, but set that aside. 0.7% to a record of 13.7%, 6% now. Member for Carleton. I think there's a problem with the audio in the chamber. <laughs> the question was, what is the average cost of a house in Canada today? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, our government has made historic investments in housing affordability, and we will continue to do so. The Honourable Member for Carleton. And how affordable are such houses? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, our government has made historic investments in housing. We will continue to do so so that housing is affordable for all Canadians. Well, Member for Carleton. If so, how much have house prices uh, increased since this government took office? We're paying for this. The Honourable Minister. Twice. Mr. Speaker, let's talk about how it is possible for people to afford their houses with good employment. And that's why employment income fell by an unprecedented $28 billion during the percent or during the pandemic. Member for Carleton. One last time, in dollars, how much have house prices risen since this government took office? One hundred and sixty-five thousand. Minister, consumer. It's the most in-your-face, enraging clown show you can possibly imagine. How much are the average house in Ottawa? Like, what the hell is the problem? Just to answer the bloody question, I forget that guy's name. The minister of the minister of of, of tourism. <clears throat> Excuse me. What the hell is so hard about answering the bloody question? It's a, and it's almost like a joke. It's it's like it's like it's done to enrage somebody.
it's like it's done to provoke Pierre Poiliev to jump the aisle and like suplex that guy into the house speaker. And what the hell use is the house speaker if he's no more useful than a broken egg timer? Uh, how much is the average house? Unemployment? One. The biggest contraction? We're already back. Oh, the, and the speaker of the house, no sanctions, no reprimands, no admonishments. It's a broken freaking system, and they're rubbing your face in the fact that they are incompetent and proud of it, and they know you can't do a damn thing about it except for watch the spectacle, rage on Twitter, and then if you, if you make mean tweets, uh, you know, they'll, they'll accuse you of ideologically motivated violent extremism if you call them clowns, if you call them hypocrites, if you call them tyrants. Oh, oh, oh. Good evening. That, did, that didn't make me feel any better. That actually makes me... Very, it makes me very, very angry. And it's not possible that anybody looks at that and says the system works. Fighting Words says the average house is $623,500,000 is about what we paid for our house in Montreal in 2007. I think. Give or take. I don't remember. That's, that's, um, that's a, I mean, it's, it's just it, home ownership is, is, is uh, a, not a luxury, not a privilege, not a right. It's something that will not be available to people. Uh, they're going to they're gonna rent, they're going to be slaves to somebody else, and they're going to be happy. Oh, okay, fine. Before we start, everybody, Super Chats, thank you in advance for the support for, you know, deciding to support this channel, this, this enterprise, uh, YouTube takes 30% of that. So if you see that there from D2KC, YouTube has taken $3 of that super chat. We are simultaneously streaming on Rumble. Uh, Rumble has the equivalent called Rumble Rants. They take 20%. So better for the creator, better for the platform to support a platform that actually supports free speech. Why is that flashing? Um, no medical advice, no election fortification advice, no legal advice, but we talk about all of these things. So just, you know, if you have questions, go to a doctor that you can trust, go to a lawyer that you can trust, and we're going to talk about some good things tonight. But this, Viva, I see that you tasted the joy of debating with Vash, the guy who literally said it's more important to have the right political impact than to be right. I got into a little bit of a debate on Twitter with Vash, and it's an amazing thing where you can see the gaslighting happen in real time. Vash says, I don't know who Vash is, how you describe him, but whatever, he's an internet personality. Uh, Vash says, Everybody always knew that the jab causes myocarditis. It's, it's well known. It's, everyone knows it now. That's like, oh, really? Here's a fact check from September 21 uh, of, uh, from, from NBC or the Peacock News that says, no, myocarditis, no, the COVID vaccines do not cause myocarditis. And he says, well, that was in 2021. Do you know how to follow a linear uh, evolution of time? It's like, oh, no, you moron. Because the discussion was, it's always been known. They've always said, everybody says it causes myocarditis. No, they don't. And no, they didn't. They didn't say it caused myocarditis when they were pushing it, when they were telling it was safe and effective, and when they were mandating it. In fact, then they were saying, no, it does not cause myocarditis. And if you say it does, you're an anti-vaxxer because Vouch is going around calling people anti-vaxxers. Back in the day, if you said it interferes with a woman's menstrual cycle, you were called an anti-vaxxer. And they said, no, it does not interfere with a woman's menstrual cycle. A year later, they say it does. Back in the day, they called you an anti-vaxxer for saying it wasn't safe for pregnant or breastfeeding women. 
They said, no, it's perfectly safe until you go read the fine print on the UK, government of UK website, where it says, we don't have data to say that it's safe for pregnant or breastfeeding women. And it's like, in real time, we've always been at war with East Asia. Everybody knows that it causes myocarditis, but COVID causes myocarditis more, uh, more likely than, than the jab. Oh, okay. Uh, why would I compound my risks? Oh, because you're less likely to get myocarditis from, uh, from COVID after you get vaccinated, except we're still doing the trials uh, on, on myocarditis from the COVID jab. Oh, so I got a taste of arguing with, the, with an ever-moving goalpost um, of insincere uh, intellectual discourse. I learned my lesson. This is why it should be Winston up there answering the questions. A2496410510. Oh, Winston would answer the questions better than that. But you, you all want to hear a little bit of horror that, that uh, befell the house today. We have a Roomba. The, the Roomba goes around the floor, you know, sweeping up stuff and cleaning the floor. It swept up a pudge poop this afternoon. And we saw it because as the Roomba was going across the room, sweeping, sweeping, it was leaving a streak of fecal slime behind the Roomba. My wife and I spent about uh, 30 minutes with, with little sticks and um, cloth and Lysol picking out the particles from the Roomba. The Roomba will never be the same. Neither will I. How are your freedoms going, mate? Well, we've got a show tonight, people. We have got a show tonight. Um, COVID stuff. Uh, we're going to do Crowder uh, Daily Wire stuff because that has ignited a firestorm of debate on the interwebs. And... Even though I disagree with Barnes on this to some extent, you listen to his argument, it's, it's persuasive. Uh, what else is going on? We've got I don't, vaccine mandates. What was in the header of this thing? Um, Alec Baldwin charged with involuntary manslaughter, I believe. And uh, we'll talk Jer Jeremy McKenzie, stuff that's going to go on in Canada. Jeremy McKenzie, diagonal, debanked. Jeremy McKenzie is going to be turned into Canada's Alex Jones. DTQC. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they attack you, then they pretend they always agreed. Then you win. Abso-freaking-lutely. DTQC. DTQC. Um, hold on, let me see if I got anything here. We're good. Oh, 10,000 live already on Rumble. Tommy Trees with a $2 Rumble and says, when are you migrating to the US? I'm here now uh, for at least two and a half years, and we're going to see what happens Long term, we'll see the whole, the whole world is going to absolute poop in a Roomba level madness. But before we get, so we have a good, we have a great show tonight. There's a lot, of, there's a lot of stuff. Um, I'll get the list later. But before we even get there, speaking of the science, speaking of following the science, and they always, they always said, they always said strokes were totally normal. Why it was so obvious? Now they say there's a there's a there's a season for strokes. There, and, and by the way. There's a season for strokes, and they just now discovered this. Listen to this. Listen to this. So what is this link between influenza, infection, and stroke? Yeah, I didn't know about this either until last year, but it turns out that after flu season, about three or four weeks later, there is a stroke season. And like you said, most of Canada is uh, getting down off of a, of a big uh, hump of of flu so now we're starting to see more strokes and a friend of uh, one of my colleagues actually mentioned that at work the other day said have you noticed how many strokes we're seeing it's a lot more than usual it feels like so anecdotally we're starting to see that oh, so oh, what is it. the slang do, do you remember do you remember when i was called uh, a conspiracy theorist bastard 
uh, what do they call me in French? Pardon, complotist. Ah, whatever. Conspiracy theorist. Bastard. Sh shameless exploitation. When, when, when people are dropping and we ask, this, is, this seems like it's happening a lot. It seems like it might not be uh, natural or normal. How dare you ask those questions? How dare you try to profit off someone's profit off someone's misery like like anybody takes joy out of any of this how dare you ask those questions you're a conspiracy theory for thinking it's happening more oh no 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 it's always it, it's happening more why the doctor right here said it his colleagues and him are noticing more people having strokes in urgent care at at work the other day said have you noticed how many strokes we're seeing it's a lot more than usual it feels like so it's a lot more than usual it feels like well, anecdotally we're starting to see that oh and by the way oh i i went to twitter and i tagged this doctor and I said, um, it's interesting that you're suddenly discovering this. You're an urgent care doctor. Let me, let me just see where it says it here. Here. Flu season. An urgent care physician, meaning I, I presume it means he deals with emergencies, urgent care, which I presume would mean ER, but maybe I'm wrong. This doctor who works in urgent care says, I never knew that there was such a thing called a, a, a stroke season. I never, oh, isn't it weird that I only learned of this thing called a stroke season? Because anecdotally, we're noticing a lot more strokes, and I just noticed it. When? When was it? Last so what is year. this link between influenza, infection, and stroke? Yeah, I yeah. didn't know about this either. And I, I didn't know about it either until my government and uh, Big Pharma told me, yeah, there's this thing called uh, stroke season, and it has nothing to do with something it's just normal. It's always been here. You you should have known this, doctor. You work in urgent care, but you didn't know this? Oh, I didn't know about it until last year. Until last year. But it turns out that after flu season, about three or four weeks later, there is a stroke season. Do you know what I've never heard of? Do you know what I've never heard of? And I'm a hypochondriac with a morbid fear of death. Do you know what I've never heard of? Stroke season. I've never heard of stroke season. What I have heard of, it, <clears throat> what I have heard of is that there tend to be more strokes in winter when people are shoveling, when they say the cold air constricts blood vessels in certain areas. They, I, I, I've heard that, but I don't ever recall hearing stroke season that follows the flu season. I don't ever recall hearing doctors saying, we're noticing a lot more strokes in the ER. I don't remember hearing that. I also don't remember seeing people dropping like flies one after the other in live broadcasts. I, I, I don't remember that. I also don't ever remember doctors urging people under 40 to go get their hearts checked. I also don't ever recall defibrillators being recommended to be at high schools. I don't know if that last story is true. I saw something on Twitter and maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it because I'm not sure if it's a thousand percent true. I don't remember any of that. And I, go to, I, I went to get that doctor's full interview on CBC and I clipped it and I said, I've never heard of this. Would you be kind enough to come on my channel to discuss this Instablock? I was blocked within 30 seconds by that doctor. It's amazing. They want to come out. They want to tell you that seeing people dying more frequently of strokes is normal. It's always been there. You're just an idiot for not having seen it. They want to tell you what to put in your body. They want to tell you where you can go and where you can't go if you don't put it in your body. But then they don't want to answer one bloody question in an open discourse on a social media platform that they take to to push their message on other people. Cowards. And he protected his account also. I, I don't, I don't, nobody should be harassed on social media. My only problem is that a lot of times people say, oh my God, people are, people are sending me mean messages, so that's harassment. No, 
You're, you're a doctor serving the public, going on the CBC and telling people to believe in stroke season? You'd better damn well answer some public questions. And if you don't, you're a coward. Okay. <sighs> yeah, bring on the Barnes. Barnes is in the background. Uh, let, us, let us bring on the Barnes. Uh, and then we're going to go live exclusively on Rumble in about 14 minutes. So the link to Rumble is up in the pinned comments. Uh, let me see what I missed on Rumble. I missed nothing. This, I, mean, I, didn't, I don't think I missed any Rumble rants. Viva before salt from Mr. Don't Give an F-U-C-K. All right, bringing on the Barnes. And this is going to be a fun one. Robert, sir, how goes the battle? Good, good. Okay, ch check your audio. You sound a little check, low check. for me. There you go. That's better. Yeah, um, when I lean forward, the mic doesn't pick it up. Robert, have you ever heard of stroke season? <laughs> Yeah. At the risk of asking the obvious, like we've been alive a long time. My mother sends me articles of people who drop dead prematurely. I've never heard of a stroke season. <sighs> um, Robert, book behind you. What is that? Oh, Ult uh, the ultimate. The, I, I was on uh, with uh, Sir Alexander Jones a little bit earlier. So that's uh, ultimate bone broth. That's uh, ultra 12. That's also ultimate bone broth. And that is uh, uh, winner's son. It's a range of products you too can get at InfoWarsStore.com. You want to screw with the man? You want to screw with the deep state? Go support InfoWars. Now, if you want one of the most delicious products known to man, there is only one. You want, you want, you want something fresh right from the farm. None of that corporate stuff. You want AmosMillerOrganicFarm.com fresh milk, delicious milk. Now, this beautiful glass is a Second Amendment glass given to me for my uh for christmas by a good friend of mine also recommend that we have those on the topics but again if you want the most delish delish product known to man fresh milk from the farm amos miller organic farm.com robert is that a bullet going into the glass yeah and okay, second amendment that's very, that's <laughs> actually but that's that's good art i mean that's good darn art oh yeah milk. the uh even got a bottle that goes with it that's amazing see with a little uh, second Robert, quote, a little American flag. I, I know you love, I know you love Miller's milk, but you got to make sure not to drink too much of it. I, that can cause. I imagine drinking too much milk can cause an upset stomach. I don't know. The uh, but people are people were worried. They're saying maybe Barnes got to go to uh, milk rehab. He, you know, <laughs> he's got like uh, yeah, maybe maybe there's like some uh, Bol Bolivian Mar Colombian marching band, Bolivian marching band music uh, playing in there. It just happens to be so fresh, so delicious that you just feel wow, like you're alive. <laughs> I can't. I still, I'll have to do it. I cannot stand milk. I love cheese, but I cannot. But this stand is real milk. milk. None of that ultra pasteurized makes it all cottony in your mouth. Corporatized milk. This is fresh from the farm milk. What? Um, if I may ask, how was the week um, at at Miller's Farm? Oh, it was. Uh, you know, I'll give old Amos credit. So, you know, I'd said uh, I have a case up there, a criminal sentencing case up there that will actually relate to a topic we'll be discussing later about how you can go to prison for things you got acquitted for. Uh, but the, the date kept, was getting moved around. And so I said, hey, whenever I'm up there for that, I'll stop by the, the farm. Because uh, I like to quote from the movie Ronin, uh, the, 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 the map is not the landscape. Only the landscape is the landscape. Somebody on our board at vivabarneslaw.locals.com, where everybody's above average, kind of like uh, Garrison Keillor's Lake Wobegon. Even the trolls are above average. They have much better nicknames if they're uh, irritable than Scott Adams does when he's irritable. Got to work on that, well, Scott. Robert, you're a, you're a clown, Robert. 
You're a clown. That's 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 the best. Ah, that was unimpressive, Scott. Unimpressive. You got to have a if, if you if the now to his credit, Scott Adams, of course, came out, did a mea culpa, said those of us that were critics were right. He was wrong because he trusted institutional sources and uh, uh, we didn't. Uh, but the uh, uh, but in, in between calling me various but basic names, very unimpressive. I mean, for a guy, he was a master mindset, genius persuader, brilliant comedian like Scott Adams. You got to have a better nickname for Barnes. Can't be just idiot, effing idiot, clown idiot. It's got to be something better. It's got to be something with some panache, something memorable. I was very, I was very disappointed in, in his name calling. Uh, I, I expected much better. I wasn't opposed to his name calling. I just expected much better name calling. The uh, but we'll see how how it proceeds. But so Amos was like, no, you got to come up here. You got to see the farm. So I was like, oh, all right, all right. So I'll come up there. I'll come up and see the farm. And now I, when I got there, I saw why. Uh, genius little Amish guy. Because uh, you get there and everybody's nice. One of the nicest, most positive energy I've ever been around. Family is sweet. The kids are sweet. The wife is sweet. Makes a whole homegrown meal with all the food they have right there from the farm. One of the top five meals I've ever eaten in my life. You get to go on the tour of the whole farm. You see the pigs. You see the cows. You see all the other animals. You, you get to uh, talk to all the workers there, all Amish. Uh, that you know they're laid back, they're friendly, they want to show you how things work. You get to discover that Amos just loves being a farmer, and that's all he wants to be. He doesn't doesn't want to be in the money collecting business. Doesn't want to be in the lawsuit business. He just wants to be in the farming business. Uh, he just wants to make great food that people really like. And uh, you meet all these nice, sweethearted people. You have this great meal. So he suckered me into being loyal to life by uh, being exposed to the genius and the beauty of that Amish farm. Uh, and I tell you, the, but the best part of it was, I, I have to kind of confess, it was the fresh milk from Amos Miller, OrganicFarm.com, that you can buy today. It's fantastic. Um, Robert, <laughs> just uh, don't OOD on the milk. You'll have to go to Lactose Anonymous uh, sooner than later. <laughs> uh, what was I just about to say? Well, we got a lot of topics. No, I know. I know. Well, let's, let's start we got, with the one. We got go Steven Crowder versus the Daily Wire. We won't be talking about the politics of it. If you want to talk to see that. Go watch Freeform Friday, where Mark Robert, Eric Hunley on America's Untold Stories, Viva and I broke it all down. If you want to see the inside insights of it, go to the Bourbons with Barnes at vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Uh, or just go to the message boards where both Viva and I are we're discussing it most of the week with our members with a lot of great feedback, a lot of great comments. Only a little bit of trolling, only a little bit of sardonic stuff, that which is okay, as long as it's kept in moderation. Or if you're going to troll, you got to pay the toll. Remember to join the uh, in order to do it correctly. But uh, we'll be discussing the legal issues, how to to negotiate a contract. Uh, well, what are what, what do we think about cancel culture clauses in contract? Are they business necessary? Are they reasonable? Are they unreasonable? How does it fit within the brand of conservative media? Uh, and we'll be discussing legally when can you tape somebody. And as a broader principle, when would we as lawyers advise somebody to tape somebody, particularly if it's your friend, particularly the court of public opinion, how they might react? So that will be our breakdown, will be the legal lawyerly perspective uh, on the contract, not all the politics, not all the personalities for which you can find all those insights elsewhere. Lord, then we Lord. got Alec Baldwin finally indicted, maybe going to prison and maybe because of his gun controlling ways, going to prison for five years. Uh, we have the Elon Musk testify this week in the big Tesla stockholder suit. We got uh, the Murdoch prosecution, the Murdoch trial. I think uh, Nick Ricada, our friend Nick Ricada, will be uh, uh, broadcasting that trial live. That is a case about crazy abuse of Southern power. We got AI. We got robot lawyers. We got AI taking copyrighted art. We, and, and then the broader question, when is AR, AI responsible for its intent? 
for the uh, for, for legal accountability. We got a lot of Second Amendment cases. We got Illinois revolt. We got an Illinois case concerning can you keep a gun in your daycare center? We got the ATF trying to make everybody a felon overnight. We got New York doing crazy stuff. The Supreme Court's having to intervene with. And we have the impact of the Alec Baldwin case on what it means for gun issues. Might they make some dangerous law about guns in the context of Alec Baldwin and in the jury selection context? If you're Alec Baldwin's defense lawyer, do you want the gun-hating liberals who like Alec Baldwin? Or do you want the gun-loving conservatives who hate Alec Baldwin? Who's better for your jury trial in that context? We got Trump lawyers being sanctioned by a Clinton appointee for suing Hillary Clinton. What a shock that is, of course. We got religion versus woke back in the federal courts. Uh, we got DeSantis' suspension of prosecutors in the federal courts. We got Fireball selling whiskey that ain't whiskey. We got gamers suing Microsoft for trying to buy Activision. We got election cases. We got vaccine cases. And we got a few other fun cases to boot. Well, let's start with the uh, let's start with the most obvious one. I, I don't know if everybody wants to hear about it or if nobody ever wants to hear about it again. And I'll just I think say one out of three. We're, we're jury nullification. We just want to hear about Amos Miller's delicious <laughs> milk that you can buy at AmosMillerOrganicFarm.com. Uh, but but I, I should also add, everyone should go watch Lauren Chen's uh, take on it. it Lauren Chen yeah, very probably good has... credit to Lauren. I thought yeah. she had a real brilliant personal insight in the middle of all of this. Uh, I also I highly recommend Night's Watch uh, that you can get on YouTube. He did a three-hour breakdown. He did another hour breakdown. Those were two of the better breakdowns I saw. Mark Dice did his take as well that a lot of people like. The uh, but Lauren Chen, I thought gave, you know she she figured out midway through it was fascinating was she realized uh, something that we know, uh, the uh, creative talent, where you're dealing with contracts with creative talent, is different than most other people. And you have to approach it a certain way. And somehow, Jeremy Boring at Daily Wire didn't know didn't know that. Well, we'll get to that in a second. But uh, she did a good job. She realized midstream, you know what? He takes these things personally. For him, business is never business. And she actually got emotional when she realized, I really wish I would have handled that better. Yep. Uh, so real credit to her. Very honest, very authentic. Uh, Lauren Chen, you can see her breakdown, that why she knew that there's no way Daily Wire and, and, and Stephen Crowder were going to fit together. I was talking about it today with uh, Alex Jones, too. Alex had been telling him for a while, hey, pal, the corporate, trust me, I've been through this. Corporate America ain't, ain't going to be your friend over time. If you want to be independent, you want to be your own man, the only way to do it is to be your own man. Uh, and, and nobody's done that more and better, in my opinion, than, than Alex Jones. He's built something free of sugar daddies, free of uh, oligarchs, free of billionaires, free of corporate advertisers, free of big tech um, and, and, and the rest. And, and that's thanks to his audience keeping him alive and afloat. But it's also thanks to him being fearless. And by the way, I've, I've seen all of Alex Jones's contracts with his con. Many of them have come out and publicly spoken. He doesn't have anything like any of these terms. Well, that because as a creative talent guy, he understands creative talent. I mean, I've done contracts. I spent the better part of the last six months on a nine-figure contract for uh, dealing with a client where a bunch of idiot Harvard lawyers, and this, I'd say, put aside all the politics, all the personalities. Forget what you think about Stephen Crowder, Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro, anything. Just look at this as a teaching opportunity because almost every person out there is going to have to sign a contract, write a contract, draft a contract, negotiate a contract, or maybe you're a young lawyer or a young law student. Use this as a learning opportunity on how to or how not to negotiate a contract. There's this deep-seated instinct. Patrick Bet David talked about it on Valuetainment. 
Uh, there's a deep when he was selling his insurance company, how his lawyer kept blowing it up over and over again. There's this the lawyers that go to law school and your Ben Shapiro types who are like, oh, only I understand contracts. Uh, the the uh, uh, Stephen Crowder just doesn't understand contracts. No, Benji, it's it's all the Harvard Law School types that don't understand contracts. I know because I just kept bailing out a huge deal, a deal that was going to make my client nine, uh, nine figures, but make the other side potentially 10 figures. It was a billion dollar potential deal. And these Harvard lawyers kept blowing it up, blowing it up, blowing it up. Why? Because lawyers think of contracts as uh, adversarial, like everything else in the legal process. They think, how do I get my client the best advantage? How do I extract the most out of the other side? My advice to people out there from doing hundreds of contracts, six figures to nine figures, and in particular with dealing with creative content, creative uh, folks, uh, talent particularly. But this is true for almost everyone. Everybody wants to be treated like a human being. They don't want to be treated like a commodity. So you can't call it just business. If you do that, they're going to feel you're going to create trouble. Instead, rather than see it as adversarial, rather than see it as extractive, see it as an opportunity to build trust. Because in the end, if you have a contract, you're going to partner with somebody where you're going to be mutually dependent on each other. You need reciprocal. One, you need trust more than anything. And that was a very good point Lauren Chan and others have made. But also you want it to be reciprocally, your reciprocal relationship, mutually beneficial. A way you convince people of that is you first listen to your client. What are your risks? What are your rewards? What are you looking for? Then you try to, if you reach out to the other side, if the other side doesn't want to talk directly, you research them. And you figure out what are their risks? What are their rewards? What do they really want? And you put forward my definition of good, good faith. I get people of different definitions of this. But for me, a good faith offer is something that is a step forward in building trust. If it doesn't build trust, it, it, you're going to hurt your client's cause. I've seen, I've seen tons of great contracts, great deals for both sides get totally blown up because the very first offer makes a very bad first impression. And so that's my first rule. However you do contracts, don't do it like Daily Wire does. So the, the you know don't don't say hey what what's the best advantageous contract for us? I know that's natural. I know some people think that way, but particularly the creative talent that that backfires almost every time. They, the creative talent will then start making irrational decisions just out of anger and rage and embitterment. Uh, but the second part is even most ordinary people they want to see that hey you value me, you want a reciprocal mutual benefit relationship. And like, I'll give an example of what if I'd been negotiating for Daily Wire, I would have put in the very beginning all the things I'm going to do for Steven Crowder. I'm going to do this for you. 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 I'm going to add value here. I'm going to add value here. I'm going to add value over here. Commit to that explicitly. Start there. So treat it that way. That to me was the great mistake just from a contract perspective. Whatever you think about all the other issues, that was to me the great mistake. And it's a learning opportunity for everybody out there. I'm not saying respond like Steven Crowder. That's another matter. What I'm saying is if you're in the Daily Wire type position, whether you're the employer or the employee, treat contracts as an opportunity to bridge and build trust, not like an adversarial extractive relationship. You know, what? Ha first of all, what happened quickly is that this entire discussion got falsified uh, uh, in this dichotomy that uh, not whether or not the contract was exploitive whether or not the contract was bad it was a bad contract and that's why you negotiated it got twisted into this were they trying to silence crowder and is crowder standing up for a righteous cause um and then it got lost in all of the the nuance about and that's whether, all whether because or not they made a bad initial offer they, they they looked at that offer as how to what's our best position where can we have all the reward and he have as much of the risk i understand that approach 
But especially with creative talent, you're guaranteed to get the, the Steven Crowder reaction. You, 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 you've just burnt a bridge you didn't need to burn. For what? To, to, to lose 10% of your subscribers in a political controversy? The, I mean, I'll be honest. If I was on the board of Daily Wire, Jeremy Boring would have already been fired. Uh, the, this, this is a total disaster. Especially Boring knows this. Boring was a failed screenwriter from Hollywood. He knows how the Hollywood industry works. He knows how the media industry works. He knows how talent works. If you want to antagonize creative talent, do things like this. I mean, I've, I've worked for, I won't name them all, but I've worked for several creative talent people. And I would tell the other side when they're going to go, it's like, don't do this, this, or this. And once or now and then, one of them would do it. And the client would just go, F them. I'm never working with them again. Screw them. I'm going to go after, you know, it's like, why? Why did you make this, this tactical mistake? And this is where I get called names. Whereas I, I, I people out there say he was insulted, et cetera. And I'm, Youngest of five kids, been practicing law for, you know, I practiced for 13 years and I just got to the, I get to the mentality of don't be such a baby. If you get insulted, if you don't want to negotiate, walk away and that's it. Uh, but, you know, getting insulted doesn't do anything other than that. But yeah, but you're, you get you're to a the, lawyer. Yeah, yeah, well, you're that's, not that's a creative thing. talent. Yeah, you know, the, the creative talent almost always reacts this way. And a lot of ordinary people do too. I think, you know, the people hate, like when you see people get really mad at the word phrase, just business. And I understand all my business friends were like, look, I have to do business this way, et cetera. I understand all that. Understand that most people want to be valued as human beings. They don't want to be seen as commodities, even though it's a commercial financial transaction. That's especially true with creative talent. Frankly, sometimes they're in denial about this, but that that's, but you have to know this about them. And as a young lawyer or a law student out there, or simply a businessman who's doing it without a lawyer approach it from what would make the other person feel good about this offer. And if you focus on that, you're going to get a lot more of what you want in the long run. It is um, what ends up happening is Daily Wire becomes a big institution. They deal with this all the time. And then they, it's not that they view, I don't know. I, I, I oh, I should imp- substitute. You are a creative talent. You're just a creative talent. Don't worry. You know what? I knew, some, degree and I knew someone was going to say, I, I'm not sensitive, Robert. That's, I don't take that that's personally. True. And that's it. But that's but, my point. My point is, but you're creative talent, people. Very sensitive. well, and that's and that's Very where sensitive. like you get to the Daily Wire's size and 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 infrastructure, and they say, look, okay, we'll we'll, we'll throw a contract out there, we'll put in the essential terms in one of our boilerplates, and then we'll whittle it down from there. Now, as as a lawyer, I, you, we we would get these all the time, and I say, don't you know what would be frustrating is they send you something that's a hundred pages long, half of it's rubbish because it's boilerplate, and it makes more work for you. And I got frustrated as a lawyer. I say, look, don't make more work for me because I can't bill my client for this, et cetera, et cetera. But what what I think is better off doing is just say, what are the essential elements of what you want and keep it to a two page LOI and then add in the extraneous stuff afterwards instead of, instead of doing that. But um, the contract itself, like I, I wasn't defending the contract, that contract, uh, and people think I'm fixated on the number 50 million over four years divided by four plus production costs, plus the documentary, plus the comedy special. I, I found that exploitive in the sense that it's a big, it's a big number, but it doesn't translate at the end of the line into very much other than your entire year for four years is done. I wasn't blown away by the number um, and people thought I was, but I thought that I thought that was a bad contract. I never would have signed it myself either. I just wouldn't have blown it up the way Crowder did in a way that's going to make him very, very um, tough to deal with for anybody else who says, yeah. do I walk that's most creative talent. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the in, in Hollywood, they're, they're all that way. Why do you think they have the contract that requires like, I want my eight bottles of this particular water from <laughs> this room temperature? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's because it's, but what it boils down to is a lot of those people, it's about respect. And if you start out respecting the person as a person and as a human being, you won't get, you won't have to deal with like nonsense like that. And that's even true with creative talent. So it's just good advice out there, folks. Use this as a learning example. 
how to deal with a contract, how to negotiate a contract. Uh, if you're on the contractor side, if you're on the initiating side of the aisle, uh, especially. And then I agree with Viva, if you're going to respond, uh, the better way to respond is to say, hey, let's figure out how, where we can meet risk and reward, risk responsibility. Is there someone like Crowder? That's not going to be his thing. Most agents, honestly, they don't do that. They just look at the top. Because what's an agent's motivation? The top, the top of the number. Yeah. Um, so you're better off. That's why, in my view, a lot of agents aren't great at contracts, in my opinion. Uh, I think the, now I got a buddy of mine, Joe Longo, who does a lot of contracts, but he's a lawyer and does a real good job of it, knows how to balance out those equations, operates often on a de- different structure financially to keep the incentives aligned with the client's best interest. Uh, but I, uh, but I, you know, the better way, there was a much better way to respond. I, I don't dispute that at all. And, and my, I do have the impression that, that Jeremy Boring started, did it this way specifically because look, we go back 10 years, here's something, just have a look at it and, 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 and thought because of our casual relationship, if, it, it'll if you be- and I were investors in daily wire, we would have fired him. I mean, it would have been okay, pal. God bless you. Maybe you mean well. You're just not the CEO going I, I don't. Well, I, I don't know about that because I, I look. I, I, yeah, you're too I, nice. Yeah, you'd be not. Nice. I, I would have fired him. I would have dragged him. I would have tarred and feathered him. <laughs> no, I, I'm more. I'm just more um, flabbergasted at at, at at you know at Crowder's response. Where I think in the long run, Crowder may have a point about something that dis- like and like Lauren Chen said, it's a discussion that happens at a, at a higher level. Like okay, you know when, when I, I I licensed videos for the longest time before getting into this. And I know, okay, we're, I'm getting exploited a little bit. There's something to learn. There's something to add, you know, ask for 60% instead of 50%. Um, but to make it so bloody personal to go after the intentions and then make it like a, a righteous good versus evil. Yeah, that, that might be crowded. That was it was predictable though. I mean, that that's my problem with boring. If I was just looking at this from a business perspective, throughout all the politics personalities, you you know this going in if you're you're boring. You should at least. I would have known it. The, I mean, if I was doing a contract with Alex Jones, any of these people, I, I know this about the creative talent i know this about actually most human beings and uh but uh and i guess in defense of daily wire this is your typical corporate lawyer tactic that's why lawyers blow up contracts all the time lawyers got to quit doing this quit (laughs) treating it as extractive quit treating it as adversarial treat it as an opportunity to build trust because if if the trust doesn't work nothing on a piece of paper is going to matter it's going to end up in court anyway make it build the trust People are rightly pointing out it was an LOI and not a contract. Absolutely. It was like, it was, yeah, it was just- that, that's a technical difference because if he'd signed it, it would have been a binding contract. I've seen people throw me, oh, this was an LOI. Two things with that. First of all, how many ordinary people know the difference between an offer sheet and a contract offer? Almost uh, nobody. Yeah, Secondly, but I think Technically, does. an offer sheet is the same. I, I didn't like that technical defense. It was, it was all these lawyerly defenses when lawyers keep making these mistakes in the first place and causing a lot of this trouble. Now, I do have problems with the cancel culture provision, cancel culture clause of conservative media. You call uh, it cancel culture, Robert. Tech. I do have you, a political problem with that. You call it cancel culture. Others are going to call it hedging your bets. Um, a provision. Oh, however it's done. But to give people an idea of the monetary, I, it, was good, it, was, it was broken down well by, uh, 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 by Night's Watch on YouTube. Uh, he was on uh, Friday Night Tights. All hail Friday Night Tights with uh, uh, Nerdrotic and Jeremy from Geeks and Gamers and Ryan from RK Outpost and all the others. Uh, the And we'll get to another topic that's come up with that in terms of a mutual friend of ours uh, getting a little AWOL about what is legal and illegal with posting public photos in a second. But the uh, but he, and he did a good breakdown, too. But the the uh, the issue with the contract when you break down here's here's for people the short version. I did a, a little write up at VivaBarnesLaw.locals.com. 
it was, by the way, the same thing I had to deal with in that nine-figure contract for six months. The Harvard lawyers, not the other side, not the, the other side of the partnership deal who knew my client well, the lawyers kept trying to put poison pills in the contract, poison pills that were meant to eliminate all risk for their side. All it did is enrage my client who understood things very well. Now, he's a brilliant businessman, so the, uh, I'll give you an example of how he does, how he does business. First time he hired me, I, I proposed a certain fee per month, and he said, eh, let's make it about 50% bigger. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, the, why? Because he knew he was going to lock in my loyalty and priority for the next five years, and it resulted in him not doing a day in prison. They wanted to put him in for 20 years. It ended up uh, keeping his business when two different groups tried to steal it all, and his business went from eight figures to nine figures. Uh, so it was profitable for him too in the end, but it was smart. He understood how to do contracts right. And he never understood people who tried to blow up. He's like, who are these people? It's lawyers. It's always lawyers. But take the cancel culture clause. What it, what it means, in my opinion, is if he had his content uh, struck, if he, if he was struck, uh, for he got a content strike for any reason, 25% permanent reduction off his fee. Another 20% if YouTube suspended him. Another 20% if Facebook suspended him. Another 10% if Spotify did. Another 10% if Apple did. What does that aggregate into? In addition, the other penalties that he objected to was if he didn't produce a single episode, he was obligated to produce 192 per year, uh, then he owed $100,000 uh, uh, on top of that per episode. So what does that mean? What that means is about 85% of his fee would be struck if big tech canceled. Now, uh, the, the deal locked him in for four years up to six years. All of his content, uh, I mean, we've done deals with, with people. We've seen deals done with people in this space. It's pretty rare they demand an exclusive license to all content. Uh, by the way, bad idea. Mm -hmm. Just FYI out there, if you're dealing with creative talent, don't start there. Um, let them come back and say, hey, I'll give you an exclusive on everything if you add this. Okay, good. Let them be the ones to propose that, don't you? But uh, they did. Uh, so they would own his whole content, his whole brand, uh, all the merchandise uh, for that time period, all the, the subscriber list, ad revenue, you name it. Um, to give an example, Crowder believed his ad revenue, his subscriber revenue alone would be 35 million a year for Daily Wire. You can argue, and Daily Wire did, about whether he was right or wrong about that, but that gives an idea where he's coming from. Not that doesn't even deal with merch, that doesn't even deal with advertising, doesn't even deal with other, other sources of revenue. So under this deal, basically, that would reduce his deal to about uh, $7.5 million over the full four years. The problem is he would have to, he was obligated. And here, frankly, Jeremy Boring was just sometimes there was some open dishonesty in my view by how Daily Wire defended themselves in this. This was also an example of how not to defend yourself in the court of public opinion. Don't say something that will fool an average person, but not fool somebody who pays attention. So like Jeremy Boring implied that their contract provision that required Crowder pay all cost of production was really about giving him exclusive creative control. No, it's not. I've seen creative control provisions. It has nothing to do with product cost provisions. So the, that was just a flat-out misrepresentation by it. But putting it, the, that misrepresentation aside, the net effect is that Crowder had to pay that. I, I can almost guarantee you it cost him more than 10000 an episode to produce. So what does that mean when he has to produce more than 750 episodes if, in fact, he was canceled under this contract? Under this contract, he would end up having to pay money to the Daily Wire to exclusively well, have his profits 
have 100% of the profit. He would lose money on the deal, not just lose money in general. He would be losing money, period, and there would be nothing he could do about it because there would be no out. Daily Wire could keep him for six years unilaterally if they wanted, and they and, and every time he didn't do a show, if he stopped producing his show, he would owe them up to $75 million. There were, I, there's an argument as to whether or not those were cumulative or, or alternative oh, there were ways provisions. In, but, but the language of the contract, that's the, all that could have been clear, right? Yeah. You could have put right in the contract 25% until you're reinstated, 20% uh, for only a six-month time period or this many show, but they didn't. And again, they know what they're doing at the Daily Wire. This is a billion-dollar company this is, founded by billionaires. This is the question as to whether or not they thought they were going to sneak one through on certain provisions to to bilk them later on. And that's well, and that's what terrified uh, to Crowder. Yeah, was he was like, "Are you doing this to like unsophisticated creative talent that doesn't have lawyers that has a hundred thousand subs?" Uh, you know the and and that's why Crowder, Crowder was so enraged about that part. That's what he calls him about in January. He's like. Forget me. Don't worry about me. What about other future Steven Crowders? This contract would kill them. Uh, are you going to be doing something different? And that's where Jeremy Boring jokes about wage slaves. Now, that transition. So my view is I'm opposed to the cancel culture contract, cancel culture clause in a contract for a conservative media publication as a political basis. I understand all the economic rationales for it. I'm saying that if you're going to be in this space and you're going to market and advertise yourself, and say, hey, please subscribe to us so that we can be independent and free from big tech censorship. Don't create cancel culture clause contracts that yeah. give big tech this degree of power over somebody. Well, and I'll just say, or the flip side, if you say, if someone says, I want to have that in the contract, if you get, if you get demonetized for good reason or for bad, well, and we don't want to hedge that bet. Well, then say, okay, well, you know. I will, I'll have that contract be excluded, but what are you going to reduce the aggregate? Be a, pay me $40 million instead of $50 million with no cancel culture clause. I, yeah, anyways, but, but the bottom line, the contract was bad. Uh, that was not the issue. The issue was rather, was it, was it deliberately bad to silence conservative voices as for the purposes of controlled opposition? Is Crowder benevolent as he says he is while starting, you know, a uh, uh, mug club forever and uh, join me here if you want to support true conservative values? Whatever, but Robert, before well, we go, I was saying, in that context, if you want that broader conversation, watch one of the best free form Fridays on America's Untold Stories, where it, Eric Hunley, Mark Robert, Viva, and I get into a full discussion. Both sides are presented, both the pro Daily Wire, anti Daily Wire side are presented, and you can uh, see it. There was a fun conversation. Some people are saying, "Hey, you guys are talking over each other." That's the point of free form Friday. It's just wild, it free form, and boom, 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 boom. It was, it was fantastic. But, but before we go to Rumble exclusively, we're a little late today, but I'm going to put the link back there because I want, uh, if you don't know who Tyler Fisher is and he's going to be on for a, a, either, a, either a sidebar or a day interview, we'll see. Uh, this is hilarious. Before we he run had, over. He had two great ones. Oh, yeah. One, I, two. one, one with, with, with um, Ben Shapiro, the other with Jordan Peterson. I yeah, think the Jordan, Jordan Peterson, Peterson one, one was just, he just nailed it. Look, look at this. Good evening. Well, I thought I would comment on the recent, let's say, controversy regarding Steven Crowder and the Daily Wire contract. Now, I had originally added a few clauses that were not discussed today, so let's discuss them for, let's say, transparency. Mm. I, I don't want to play the whole thing because I want I want people to go watch the original and follow him and uh, just, just to get a little bit more of it, and then we're going to stop. Section 3, Clause A. Steven Crowder will be required to clean his room on a daily basis. 
Failure to do so will result in a $1 million fine. I know you're thinking, well, that's comically high. It's like, well, you don't know what happens if you don't clean your bloody room. Oh, leave it right there, everybody. <laughs> it's so damn good. Okay. It I'm is. Gonna... Well, and, and that leads us to the last component of the Crowder, the legal perspective on the Crowder, which is what about him tape recording Jeremy Boring? There's the legal side, and then there's what I have actually advised clients in this situation precisely, what I have advised them, and I'll tell you why and how. Uh, you can have your own strong opinions. Eric Hunley, a lot of other people were like, I, I don't record my friends, period, business or not business. I fully understand that uh, perspective. Um, from a legal perspective, uh, presuming Crowder was in Texas, it is my understanding, the federal law, only requires one party in the United States. The federal law only requires one party to know about the uh, recording for it to be legal. And then it, by state, it totally varies. Mm -hmm. Some states are two-party states, which require both parties know or all parties know. Others are one-party state as well, only requires one party to know. Texas only requires one party to know. I presume, given he broadcasted it, now, by the way, even in those two-party states, there are exceptions. I've used those exceptions. If you think someone's blackmailing you, if you think someone's extorting you, if you're documenting certain criminal conduct, then you're allowed to. Now, in my view, and this goes to a discussion we also had on Freeform Friday, I believe if you're doing undercover reporting or investigative work or whistleblowing work, you should also be legally allowed to do so. This is the, the, the day-in case in California. This is the Project Veritas case in, in several jurisdictions. Uh, I think that's essential, if, 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 but it needs to have a public benefit, right? So it can't be I recorded my ex illegally because I was pissed at her, right? That kind of thing. The, that's not a public newsworthy benefit. But if it's a public newsworthy benefit, public interest, then I think that one party should also suffice in those cases. So that's the legal side of it. Practical side, I can tell you that if you believe you are now adverse, and let's say I was advising Stephen Crowder, I'd be, okay, you want to publicly discuss this contract. Daily Crowder may not be happy with that. The oh, Daily Crowder. <laughs> I made the same mistake somebody else did. The, the Daily Wire. Uh, the, uh, the, maybe, maybe that's what it should all be called in the end. But the, the Daily Wire uh, is a very, uh, if you're going to get adverse to them, understand this. They're a billion-dollar company in my view. I think they make a quarter billion a year at least in revenue. Uh, they are founded by not only a couple of uh, you know Texas oil billionaires, you know, natural gas billionaires uh, who are involved in cult religions, they're also extremely litigious. If you track them down and very aggressive, um, I mean, what they're doing with their property in Idaho and Montana has been very controversial, not just with lefties, been controversial with locals, you know, farmers, fishermen, et cetera. Um, so I would say you, if, if you think you're even thinking about publicly discussing this, even without naming them and you think they come, they come back at you at any level, you need to have a recorded conversation to protect yourself. This is what I've advised people. I've said, now, look, you know, you're burning a friendship. Uh, if it ever goes public, uh, there's going to be some people who never trust you again. Uh, there's a lot of people who don't like this. So from a court of public opinion perspective, I, you know, you say, here's your PR warnings. But from a legal side, you often have to, because otherwise they're going to represent, it becomes he said, he said. And when they have more money and a lot more money and power than you do, you put yourself at risk if you don't record it. Well, this is the thing. I don't recommend against not recording conversations, but the disclosure of those have to be the nuclear bomb of warfare. And you don't disclose it just for the sake of trying to score uh, some quick social media points. I, you take for granted everybody's always recording conversations. I just noticed that people who record the conversations always end up looking disingenuous 
in those recordings because they're talking in a way that indicates they know they're recording. And oh, the other person, cue, by the way. Well, no, now, I'm, th- if I'm you thinking want to avoid being recorded. One, never in writing, always in cash. Don't talk over the phone. You think people would learn this from wiretaps? The uh, if you do talk over the phone, talk over uh, you know a burner phone that didn't isn't necessarily connected to you, or as a uh, client in the alternative product distribution business called it, a bat phone. Said uh, just in case they need to reach you, Bobby. Uh, and the uh, uh, but otherwise, also little cues. If you're out in per talking to somebody in person, be in a setting where there's a lot of background noise, water, sound, etc. Not where it's a, a physically controlled setting. Much easier to tap tap those places. Much harder, even if you've got a tap going, to cl- to get clear sound. They try to amplify it these days, but due to the deep fake problem, that's increasingly challengeable in court. Uh, so that's just some practical advice about how to avoid. But you're right. If you if if you're someone you're talking to is like suddenly like oddly, oh, what about this and. How about well, that? I, I'm you just of- be ready to request. I've had clients, you know, prospective clients call me up and say, should I do this? And is it okay if I don't pay taxes? And then it's like, uh-uh, pal, I know who you are. It, Mel Gibson's wife is the best example ever. Uh, okay, we're going to get off Rumble, people. We're going to get off YouTube and go to Rumble now. We are. Yeah, we got Alec Baldwin. We got Musk, Tesla. We got AI. We got we- Second Amendment. We got Murtaugh. We got Trump lawyers. <laughs> we got it all. And we got some Canadian stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna end it. Oh on yeah, YouTube they're screwing people. over Jeremy. They're screwing oh, over. Oh my goodness, seven thousand people. people. We're off. We're off YouTube. I, I forgot. Everyone, go to go to go. You know where the link is, uh, Robert. Let's let's actually let's just start with 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 Jeremy because I've never done this before. People, I started not a GoFundMe, and I shouldn't even say the word out loud. I started a Give Send Go for Jeremy. Jeremy McKenzie, founder of Diagalon. Not a popular guy because he's done some objectively stupid things. He's said some objectively stupid things. Uh, he's an unsavory character to the to the political elite. Um, he's a political dissident. Period. Whether or not he's said things that are terrible and, and atrocious, but Robert, in our in our locals community today, I shared that class. I, I think it's a classic skit, but I can understand how some people don't like it. Will Ferrell, when he was the boss, uh, Tar- Tarkinian, uh, Mr. Tarkinian from SNL, when he was interviewing Pierce Brosnan. And he's like a nice, passive, beautiful boss. And then someone comes in and he blows his temper and it just goes escalating from there. There's a joke in that skit, which is not much different than the joke that got Jeremy uh, McKenzie in so much trouble for. Not fu- there, one is not funny. One might, you know, contextually might be a little bit more comedic. Uh, Jeremy McKenzie has some serious flaws and he, he's facing criminal charges. But to go from there to say it's time to start debanking. Um, I'm trying to find the audio. It's time to start debanking people um, because they're political dissidents. They're unpopular, and, and that's it. We're getting into a realm of, of, of social credit. I have to go to, to, my, to my thing. So Jeremy McKenzie, on a Friday night, he gets the Friday night call from the bank. And I, and I, you know, I, I made sure everything was legit about this, that I made sure Jeremy McKenzie did not commit any act of fraud against Scotiabank, that he hadn't you know, done anything overt. To warrant this, he gets the Friday afternoon call from someone from the bank, and it goes like this. Courtesy of a heads up that you'll you will receive a letter kind of early next week, and then you know that the bank decided to end their banking relationship with you. You won't be able to hear the audio; it's not good. He receives a letter. You're going to receive a letter in about a week or two. The bank has decided to end its business relationship with you for no better reason, no nothing. Thirty days. Get your stuff out. Open up your own. You know, open up a bank somewhere else. If any of the other chartered banks in Canada are going to open one for you, something tells me this is not a, a politically free decision. This is the same bank, Scotiabank, that froze trucker convoy banking uh, bank accounts 
during the convoy, apologize for it afterwards because it was, you know, unpopular then, so they apologize. And then when things quiet down, they go ahead and do the exact same thing again. I started a give, send, go for Jeremy, you know, with the idea he's going to need legal fees. He's too proud to ask for more money because this guy, you know, he lives off a, a veteran's pension, um, has been facing an onslaught from the government left, right and center. And now they're debanking him. They're just they're going to pull an Alex Jones of Jeremy McKenzie because he said bad things that people don't like. He's a political dissident um, and they're going to make an example out of him. And he's so unpopular that other people out there are going to say, well, he's an asshole. He said some stupid things and he's getting what he deserves. F around and find out. A fafo. It's going to be a fafo with Jeremy, not realizing this is coming to a bank account near you. So I started this. It's actually, I've never, I've never done it before. I started a give, send, go. Let me just see where it is. And um, I think we're, we're over $11,000 right now. And if Jeremy can pay off his mortgage and tell the bank, uh, F off, um, and people can say, we're not putting up with this. This is not how a free country um, can operate. And push back on Scotiabank and push back on the bank and, 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 and push back on the government and tell people it's not because you don't like somebody that you can tolerate this rubbish. That's uh, all I wish to accomplish out of this. So that, that's what's happening. Out yeah. of and we got to collectively work together to stop this debanking because it's a very it's the next big, dangerous political censorship trend. That's a lot more consequential, quite frankly, than deplatforming. You imagine you, you, you debank someone. It's like, OK, you get your you get your government pension, Jeremy, just. Good luck trying to cash it. So you're going to go to like, I don't know, Instacheck or whatever with these. I don't know where you can even withdraw the money. I don't know how it would even happen. Oh, we're, we're not. You're free to go find another federal charter bank, you know, a, a bank that operates under federal law. You're free to go find another one. I'm sure they're going to be very happy to open an account for you. What happened to your last one, Jeremy? Oh, Scotiabank canceled it. Oh, well, here's your. Uh, oh, and by the way, they're still going to respect Jeremy's mortgage for another year. Scotiabank will take his money for the next year. Not renew the mortgage in a year or something, but whatever. They won't renew the mortgage, but oh, okay. Did I end on, on YouTube? Yeah. I, have I ended on YouTube? I think I have. Yes, I have for sure. Okay. Robert, what else? What do we move on to now? Uh, well, we got uh, Alec Baldwin. We got Elon oh. Musk at trial. We got Murtaugh, Second Amendment, AI, religion versus woke, DeSantis, fireball, elections, vaccines. Probably Let's the start. best thing that is uh, maybe Alec Baldwin. Let's start with Alec Baldwin, the man who just couldn't shut up, and now it's come back to bite him in the ass. I, we all know what happened with Alec Baldwin. He pulled the trigger, according to the FBI report, on a gun, pointed at a woman, pointed at a person. It discharged an actual live round, how it got in there, nobody knows, killing her. He couldn't shut his mouth. In any, in any, at any stage of the process, he couldn't shut his mouth. He made statements to the police immediately, like in the, in the window afterwards. Uh, which he then contradicted in other statements he made to George Stephanopoulos in an interview. Um, look, it, it was people were doubting whether or not he would ever get charged because of the politics, because of his you know celebrity status, political status. Charged involuntary manslaughter um, with a potential enhancement of firearm being involved in this involuntary manslaughter, which could carry a minimum mandatory sentence of five years. And now I fully understand the irony, the sick irony of all of this, that the Baldwin types who wanted mandatory minimums for firearm-related issues, they, they advocated for this stuff, and now they might have to live with it. Um, Robert, I mean, look, involuntary manslaughter, when it doesn't involve the enhancements, is a maximum of 18 months under New Mexico law, from what I understand. What, what, are, the, this, what are the chances that um, he goes to jail for a mandatory minimum? <coughs> well, it depends on whether he gets convicted. <coughs> and I, <coughs> Sorry. I think there... 
the three elements of involuntary manslaughter in uh, Arizona, New Mexico, aside from obviously killing a person, is that you should have known of the danger involved, you willfully disregarded the danger, <laughs> the danger involved, and willful requires that uh, you ha- you know the harm may result from your conduct, and so the he clearly has a a defense. <coughs> Sorry. That he did not know there was any risk of any harm, even though uh, the the government's theory, the prosecution's theory is he knew of the risk for two reasons. One, he was the producer on the set. So that gave him a certain level of accountability and responsibility, which it required as part of that knowing risks involved. And that second, he pulled the trigger without checking the gun beforehand. And that pulling the trigger without checking the gun, they see as criminal recklessness. And then he enhanced that risk and seemed to acknowledge that that was a problem for him by lying to George Stephanopoulos and saying he didn't pull the trigger. And uh, and and I guess as um, additional factors to his knowledge of the risk, there had been prior safety issues of which I don't think he can deny awareness, prior discharges of blanks, not of live rounds. Uh, so there were previous safety issues which might have made a reasonable person be even more cautious when pointing a, a real gun at a, at a human. So it's a criminal recklessness category. If they convict him of it, the firearm enhancement almost automatically apply. It limits the judge's discretion, has to do five years. So this case comes down, in my view, to jury selection. Now, I think this is true in all cases for the most part, but I think it's really true in his case. that He should do detailed focus groups and jury polling to see which groups respond to his defense and which ones are not. I think it will be counterintuitive is what he will likely find. I think what he will find is that Alec Baldwin fans are bad jurors, that liberals are bad jurors, that because they are so directed, uh, they're so anti-gun, and they think you should be paranoid every time you're near a gun, they're going to blame him for not checking the gun. By contrast, some conservatives, now depend on the conservatives, your real gun-loving conservative who knows a lot about guns, he goes probably to won't, won't tolerate some of his defenses. Yeah. Uh, it will be the people that are pro- not scared of guns, but don't use them a lot. That will be the most like, eh, I'm around a gun a lot. I don't want to be blamed if something goes AWOL. So the I think that is the type of juror he most likely wants to find. The Hollywood defense they're floating in the media, which is, oh, you don't understand actors. Actors must do what they are told. The actors don't have discretion. This was the defense in Salon by an entertainment lawyer. Not a good defense amongst ordinary jurors. Tell you that right now. Uh, but much better defense is, practically speaking, is to have a jury pool that doesn't get terrified when they see a gun, but also it doesn't use guns so much that they know how gun safety is supposed to work. I, I just I do wonder if he if I it's I don't wonder. He would have been better off had he just shut his mouth. I mean, he said he never he, would have been indicted had he shut his mouth. I still stick with that. Yeah. Once he went on George Stephanopoulos and said he never pulled the trigger and that he never would pull the trigger because he knows the risk of pulling the trigger, he just went, woo, oh, to no. his defense. No, 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 no. I would never point a gun at a person because that's very dangerous. I still think you're right. I still think that he got ticked off yep. and thought he would have a little fun. And then he was like, Oops. Yeah, because, because the, the, the two prior discharges of a blank, that you know, it proved to him that it's just a, it's just a firecracker. Pull the trigger, firecracker. It'll scare her. She'll piss off. That's I'm, I'm convinced because the also the, the the fact that he said he's trying to make anybody believe that he doesn't feel responsible, that he doesn't feel guilty, that oh it's, it's somebody's fault. It's not mine. 
Methinks he doth protest this to most, but he's he's in it's it's very very bad. Can they can he p- agree to a plea deal now? Uh, well, I'm sure they offered him one, and he, I guess he turned it down for pride reasons and professional reputation reasons. Because I, I just do not see. I don't see how he. I don't see how he doesn't get convicted, and then I don't see how. Uh, I would say if he picks the right jury, it's a fifty fifty trial, just because it's clear he, or it's mostly clear, uh, he didn't think that it would actually that there was any bullet in there that uh and because of that if you pick the right jury you could get a 50 50 chance of acquittals so i think it'll be interesting to to watch now maybe if you jury test it you'd find something else out maybe you'd find out oh we're actually more uphill or more advantageous than we think that's where i highly recommend that for all uh defendants uh to to have that kind of uh, uh available to them but at a minimum it does prove one thing uh, in general i agree with some of the baldwin supporters always stand behind alec baldwin well that's you, you blew the joke i stand behind alec baldwin that's the uh, the joke i just want to read one comment here it says some dumb a55 which is supposed to be an s says rumble sucks viva sucks on Rumble while watching V while watching Viva on Rumble, uh, but it says some again. It's okay to troll if you pay the toll. <laughs> well, there's no tro- there's no paying the toll here. That's just a troll. But I think it's a joke because there's irony in, in being on Rumble watching Viva complaining about Rumble while watching Viva. Uh, Robert, what happened with Musk? I didn't I didn't I didn't follow that this week. Ah, so this is the big Tesla uh, stockholder suit, billions of dollars at issue. This is back when Elon Musk on Twitter said that uh, he was thinking about going private and that he thought he had secured funding. So uh, what happened is the stock took went up, took a big spike. Then it turned out he wasn't going private. He didn't have the funding and took a big hit. And so for the people who had it during that time period, uh, their argument or who, you know, who bought it before it went up and got stuck with it went down. It depends on which class it is, but it's the class of stockholders who say, I lost a bunch of stock value because Elon Musk said something that wasn't true, namely that he had secured funding. The judge has already issued summary judgment on whether his statement was true and whether it was reckless for him to say it. Uh, so some of his defenses are already, affirmative defenses are already gone. The, what he, but, so his, the, the trial is mostly about causation. A little bit, they tried to get into a little bit of challenging the underlying premise that the statement was false because he had had discussions with the Saudis about taking it private. And he tried to subpoena the Saudis. It's very difficult to subpoena a foreign, uh, anybody foreign for a U.S. court. And ultimately, that was unavailing and unsuccessful. So they're not going to testify. That would have been interesting at trial. Um, so instead, now he also moved to transfer the trial. He said, I can't get a fair jury in San Francisco because of all the media attacks on me over the last six months. Now, I think he would have been better suited had he really documented that. With, again, no, almost nobody's doing this. You know, even most people in January 6th cases are not doing this. Poll. Do a public opinion poll that proves it, that proves there's a massive gap between the jury pool and the trial, the courtroom you're, you're they're holding the trial in versus the alternatives. No, when, no, when, when they don't do that, they let judges off the hook. Judges just don't like to transfer a venue for any reason. This judge didn't either. That He's preserving it for you know, appeal purposes. Uh, he actually testified this week. And the main defense is, uh, what was the cause is causation. So they're like, look, the, the, the stock could go up simply because he wanted to take it private. And that, in fact, was a true statement. It was the secured funding part that has been ruled to have been a recklessly false statement. The other part has not been, everybody admits he wanted to take it private. 
So the argument is his mere intention to want to take it. If that's what caused the stock to price, not the secured funding part, they don't have a claim. That appears to be the core of the defense at the trial, even though, I mean, my understanding from jury selection, there are a lot of jurors who are very hostile to Musk because of how he's handled Twitter at making it a free speech zone. And uh, and because he's laid off a bunch of Twitter employees, he's wanting, he moved Tesla out of California. Uh, he opposed a lot of the COVID policies, et cetera. Uh, he's in San Francisco is just, I, I can't imagine he getting an impartial jury in San Francisco. I've tried cases in San Francisco and I just can't imagine he being able to under these circumstances in a polit case that's become politicized. Um, now the irony is people that, held the stock after this time frame all made tons of money so i always find it a little weird when you can bring a stockholder suit over this little time period when if you actually held it you you did just fine uh with tesla that was part of the way he won that one delaware case he faces another delaware case over whether his compensation package is excessive uh i mean he's facing tons of legal cases but this is a pr case also has billions of dollars at risk for both musk and tesla uh I think that uh, you know we'll see. The, the key is what caused the stock to go up. Was it that they really thought it was about to actually go private because he had secured funding that he actually hadn't? Or was it because they thought, hey, this is a great idea. It's private. I could cash in. Whoever wants to buy it private right. will probably pay a premium like Musk did for Twitter, and I could cash in. So I think it will come down to jury selection if they're able to filter out the biased jurors enough or not. Uh, speaking of appeals, actually, we, we didn't – Talk about it beforehand, but uh, George Floyd, not George Floyd, but Derek, Derek Chauvin's Chauvin. appeal. Um, so he, he's appealing the, he's appealing his conviction on the basis that couldn't possibly get a fair trial in um, in the venue, in the jurisdiction where, you and know, certain could. where certain witnesses were waking up with pig heads at their former residence, severed pig heads on the front lawn. Um, it's a, it's a it's a short process that they have to to request an appeal. I'm, I'm reading like 15 minute uh, arguments. And that their oh, argument the oral is argument is short. I mean, the length of time for a typical appeal is years. Um, but for the for the actual oral argument, they typically only give you between 10 minutes and 30 minutes per wow. side. What do you think the chances are of him succeeding on this appeal? I mean, it, 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 it's politically it's died down, but this is probably the most political charged case ever. It's not like a judge is going to reverse the conviction quietly in the night without there being another another summer of love 2.0. Nil or... Well, the Minnesota Court of Appeals, I think, is not his best shot. They've issued many bad rulings on many of the precise legal issues in other less political cases. And on political cases, they've been really bad. I think his only shot is if the Minnesota Supreme Court were to take up the case. I think they have enough cover because Chauvin's serving a bunch of time no matter what. If they yeah. reverse all the charges here on the federal side, he's already doing a bunch of time that he pled to. So there's no appeal on that side. So the if if they're conscientious and care about the law, then they and care about the justice system, then they will reverse Chauvin's convictions on at least several of the key counts for the reasons we discussed previously. Uh, but I don't anticipate that they are that conscientious at the Minnesota Court of Appeals, sadly. Well, I, I think, you know, you mentioned it that way, that he's going to spend decades behind bars anyhow. I think they're going to just say, well, then there's no need to overturn it. Um, and, and they can avoid the political backlash by doing something that would be in politically enraging so they could just say look oh. it's speaking of politically ill-advised conduct this is more of a brief topic <laughs> but we've previously had eliza blue on our sidebar show she does a lot of great work exposing issues particularly related to twitter and google uh, uh previously uh you know promoting 
uh, under, well, I mean, we're on Rumble. So, you know, pedo behavior, uh, promoting child sexual abuse content on their sites. And so credit to her still for the good work she does on that. Now, with a caveat of this, somebody made uh, a couple of people, Brittany Ventney and the quartering and a few others point. I think the Star Wars girl talked about it, too. Uh, reference that, you know, she has uh, some old videos that are up of her, some rap videos uh, that I guess she doesn't like, the, you know, the image of her in those videos. I mean, they're, they're flattering images, but I think she thinks of them as exploitative and non-consensual. The problem is when you are a public figure for which someone has released a public image on a public platform, if somebody else references that or cites to it, there's nothing illegal in what they're doing at all. Apparently, she has called it illegal, and apparently she's, you know, Elon Musk, to his credit, has developed a relationship with her to try to to try to deal with the issue of child porn on Twitter, uh, which is very important. Uh, I guess some people at Twitter, you know, took either her statements or somebody on her behalf to suspend the accounts of Brittany Ventney and suspend the accounts of the quartering uh, when they did nothing wrong. And and I don't think she's it's a Barbara Streisand effect what she's doing. If she wants, it's, I, in my view, her past is her business. I don't care. I like the work she's doing right now today on fighting these issues. Uh, what I don't support is her miss, you know, is her or her people or people in support of her misinterpreting the rules, misinterpreting the law to suspend accounts like the quartering and Brittany Ventney. This is just, this is a bad, but it looks bad for her too. It looks going to be a bad Barbara Streisand effect. For well, her. first of all, I, People are, I don't know. I saw tweets that, you know, Viva, you have to chime in. First, I don't have to chime in at every. I don't have to chime in about nothing. That's like people were yipping about the Jack Murphy thing. It's like, well, I don't, don't got to chime in. No, if, is... if Jack Murphy wants to do things involving his rear end and whatnot, that's his business. But the uh, I don't have to chat about it. Now, well, that's... you know, if he makes a dumb statement of going after Nick Ricada, well, you know, Nick Ricada is going to make fun of you. Comedy is the best rebellion, you know, the, you know, the best, uh, the best vengeance. That... Uh, but the, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I always get a kick out when people say you have to comment on something. No, because like, she, she was about she, that. You she know she was she was on our she was on my channel. We interviewed her, and, and now like I'm somehow responsible for things that happen afterwards. I, oh. I, I would I'll, I'll say publicly nothing that I wouldn't tell Eliza directly. It, it's a it's a bad move. First of all, optically and Streisand effect. The video now has twice as many views as it did yes. yesterday. Um, you know, the argument that that Eliza was raising is that it's a, a private private produced vi uh, images publicly shared. Okay, first of all, that might apply to the YouTube video, but right. it would not but apply. You got to take down that YouTube. Video. Well, and, I've and dealt so with this in a range of contexts for people. That's you can't blame the people that re re link it. You've got to deal with the original source material at the and object to that and say that's what I object to. I'm not objecting to anyone else linking to it. I'm objecting to this. That's the better way to go about. Especially people like the quartering are her ally. And have been her ally in a bunch of contexts. Yeah. He hasn't been one of those people dragging through and second guessing everything in her personal history. He's he's been someone who's been a fan and a supporter of her work. There's no reason to do anything or her people, maybe her people on her behalf, doing anything to get him suspended. That's insane. Well, and the other thing is, look, I don't know the details, and I'm not sure that um, you know the excuse or the um, the alleged infraction that she invoked to get to allow Twitter to suspend the accounts related to that video but if what the allegation is is that the content of that video was non-consensual well you're going to do a lot of um, undermining of your brand when people go look at that video and say it didn't look non-consensual to me now and i'm playing i'll steel man eliza's argument here because i went through a bunch of those other world star hip-hop videos and it, 
people are saying, oh, she agreed to do a hip hop rap video. To me, what it looks like is that they get a bunch of stock footage of, of women yep. doing things. And then they subsequently later remix it into these awful rap videos. Like there was one of a, of a woman just doing like gymnastics indoors that had nothing to do with the rap song, but they take that footage and then subsequently remix it potentially without their authorization. Maybe Eliza did this, maybe under the influence of the time, who knows? And then says, you can't do anything with that. And then they, lo and behold, go re-edit it. So Steel Man, it, even if that's what happened, um, to make the argument that it was non-consensual without further explanation is a branding devastating uh, mistake, period. And, and it, she would have been better off. It's going back to like our Daily Crowder debate. How to approach this. If you, when you have people who want to be your allies, just email them or DM them. Give them some context. Say, by the way, this person filmed me. I didn't expect this to go public. I didn't do this rap video. I'm going at the YouTube channel to get it taken down. Please don't link it for this time frame. I'd really appreciate it. You'd be like the quartering and Brittany Vinny would have walked away. I mean, at least I don't know Brittany, but at least quartering, I know he wouldn't have pursued it. The, it it's just uh, it was by using, particularly she's developing a good relationship and her supporters developing a good relationship with key people at Twitter to really go after problematic content. Mm -hmm. Don't, especially now, don't misuse that, that influence uh, for this uh, counterproductive purpose. Yeah. And especially when people are going to look at it and say, well, if you call that trafficking, uh, now I'm going to yeah, question they're going to find it. They're going to find ways to say, maybe you don't mean trafficking. And part of this may be the Tate people. There's a lot of Tate supporters that have been at her because she supported people that were making accusations against Tate and the, uh -huh. uh, Andrew Tate. So maybe some of that, I wouldn't surprise me. There's a, a good number, even though I have said, I don't think the Tate case is anything about the case it's supposed to be about. I think it's about uh, a politics and war in Romania. And it's about those statements that Andrew Tate made, not his other uh, more controversial personal uh, gender issue content. I do hope that some of the Tate supporters are not misusing their authority to try to go after certain people or the rest. That would be counterproductive. You mean so, uh, Eliza? Eliza or Eliza yeah. supporters or others. You know, the it's, uh, it's, some of it has a little bit of those fingerprints. It was like my first reaction to the Jack Murphy stuff. Now, he kept acting out in such a ridiculous way that I quit. I started making fun of him myself, but the, and it wasn't just because uh, Drex and Ricada's routine was brilliantly funny. And <laughs> yeah. Br br brilliantly funny and brilliantly profitable for, <laughs> for oh, yeah, Ricada. Yeah, I mean, well, Drex could do a perfect imitation of, uh, no, you know, the other night they were on like a Friday night fun show and I was like, Hey, maybe I'll hop on. And then they got into one of those conversations that I was like, mm, I don't think I'm going to, this is not the, not only is this like uh not for kids conversation, it was just not, a conversation, yeah, it was one of those recated conversations. So I was like, God bless, but I don't think I want to be on the same screen at the same time oh. that they're discussing this issue, uh, in, in particular. No, it's, it's, um, we, 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 even when Eliza was on and we had the discussion, what are we, what are we understanding when we say trafficking? It's good, it will do not just damage to her brand, but damage to the cause if people yes. now think it's being used flippantly and worse yet politicized in Twitter under new management to circumvent the rules that would otherwise never be applied this way to anybody else. Uh, yeah. And again, everybody, this is not, I would say this privately, it's just that this is, again, more of a Jack Murphy type dispute. It's a brand compromising dispute. What would have been the best way to, to deal with it? The video's not that bad. Um, and yeah, just honestly, it's, it's, it's really ignore you know, if, if it was something that like, let's say you'd made that video for your boyfriend or somebody and then he'd sold it to somebody. I get the objection. Yep. I, I totally get it. I, I get that very personal 
uh, it's re that, that would be re revenge porn. And now the question is, right. is exactly was this? Re yeah. and, and, and sometimes it is hard to get that stuff taken down. I've represented other people that have tried to get that stuff taken down and it can be difficult. But the, what I've recommended to those clients is if somebody else is sharing it, just approach them directly. If they're acting in good faith, you can, you, you can get them to, to agree yep. and, and, and you'll have, you won't have a problem. No reason to burn bridges with allies. And, uh, and also, impugn the cause because you know there was that lawsuit of the kid suing twitter to take down a video they refused to take it down and now some people might think that some people could be misled to think that that video was as i'll say innocuous because this video is a world star hip-hop video it's not it's not porn uh no. it's it, you know someone might be embarrassed by it but it's not it's not cp uh no, something embarrassing Try being the third generation solicitor, yeah. which is the equivalent of a prosecutor with all kinds of political power and control in South Carolina, and being accused of faking your own attempted murder, murdering your own wife, murdering your own son, who is currently facing charges of reckless homicide for killing somebody else in a boat accident, all to cover up the fact that you've been busy stealing from your clients for the better part of a decade. Welcome to the Murdoch case. Robert, you're going to, this is like, a, this is the stuff of hush hush. I, I, I'm just going to sit back and listen because uh, you're going <laughs> to tell this. This is a, what's not, what's his name? Uh, the novelist that you always, um, you James always Elroy. James Elroy. I was going to say, uh, uh, James Elroy. This is a James Elroy story. What the heck is going on? So, you know, I started watching this documentary. I forget which channel. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's another one's like a four part one. And then, you know, I still have my, I have my mom's curse. So uh, when my mom had doubts about a book or a movie ending, uh, she would read the ending first. <laughs> I still do that. If I'm watching something, I'm like, I don't know if I like where this is going. I'll, I'll check to make sure I know what the ending, if the ending is crap, I'm like, screw it. And I don't watch the rest of it. But so uh, this one was like, first it started off about the power of this old money. It felt like a John Grisham novel too. Yeah, you know, you're waiting for like, like that frontline voice from a Pelican Brief to come on. You know, the young lawyer who just cared about the Pelican and da 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 begins you know, the beginning of the movie. The uh, the same thing here. You know, this old money South Carolina family. Some people ask, you know, why is Trump putting Lindsey Graham on his committee? Because he wants to co-opt uh, or prevent or block Nikki Haley from contesting South Carolina. Uh, I, you know, again, I'm not a Lindsey Graham fan. He was over whoring for war again, over in Ukraine again, but the, uh, and, you know, doing everything possible to trigger world war three, but that's because the Murdoch case tells you a little bit about how South Carolina tends to operate. It's politics is old money. There's some folks down there still think they're running plantations. And so the, uh, Murdoch family, a lot of power, a lot of control, always a lot of controversy over how they manipulated that power. So when his son was charged, there were a lot of people in the community that said his son's going to walk. And around the time they were saying his son's going to walk because it's all these, this family runs this whole county. They run the whole show. They've gotten fabulously wealthy while they've been the solicitor and the, the public prosecutor. The solicitor is just an old, gives you an idea, old English construct. And, and, and you don't find many solicitor's offices in America. You do in places like the deep south of South Carolina. Because it's a whole different world down there. I remember traveling to the Mississippi Delta, and it looked no different than the 1930s. The uh, no, that was back in the 90s, so it may have changed since then. But this gives an idea for the mindset down there. And so the I think Ricada said he's going to be covering the trial live, and it's coming up. Uh, I would love to have watched the Elon Musk trial, but it's in federal court, so they don't allow you to watch it. 
But the Murdoch case is apparently going to be broadcast. It's because of the political pressure. So many, so his son, what happened was a boating accident. And in the boating accident, his son got stone drunk and his son was one of those angry drunks. I'm like, until I met, I won't say who, until I met a certain, I had never met, I never met angry drunks before. I only knew happy drunks. So when I met an angry drunk once, I was like, whoa, this is not fun at all. The, uh, uh, and so the kid apparently was an angry drunk, uh, drove the boat into a bridge and killed a young teenage girl. And he ended up being charged. His father tried to manipulate the case, tried to do a whole bunch uh, of other. Drove it in on purpose, not by accident. This was homicide. Not clear. He was okay. just angry and drunk. Okay. So it's one of those, but clearly reckless. And he tried to pretend he wasn't driving. They tried to blame it on a working class friend of his. So they tried to do that with pressure at the hospital. But my guess is what was really happening, as it turns out, is that the father was probably terrified that his son's case might open up the case into the father. So the next thing you hear in the news, uh, the father, the, the, the mother, the wife of the, of the defendant, and the son that's, pro- that's being prosecuted, both are shot to death. The father calls it into 911. Not long after, the father, there's an attempted murder of the father. The apparent attempt is to make it look like somebody's targeting the family wrongly in an overreaction by, the, by this bitter, uh, jealous, envious community. But then what comes out is that the law firm has fired the father, of, of whom he's a name partner, because it turned out he'd been stealing for years from his clients and then apparently started stealing from the other partners too. Classic lawyers. You can steal from the clients, but you can't steal from us. You got to be reasonable. <laughs> so he's out the door. And then, the, uh, uh, and then they, they dug in and they started figuring out the only explanation for the attempted murder was that th- it was entirely a setup, a fake attempted murder to get or garner sympathy and distract from these other investigations. Then they dig in further and they find evidence the father killed his own son and wife to try to get a get all of her. That's the he faces the murder trial and the and the robbery trial. I don't know if both are combined or not, but coming up this month in February in South Carolina, going to be broadcast live on Nick Ricada. That's that's oh my god! Is Nick I say going to have a field day with that in in the most cynical way that only Nick can in in a, a good natured uh, take on that. That's, if he has Andrew Bronco. There'll be lots of very in, in, very politically incorrect jokes. Do I mean now? I, I just I presume the evidence. I, I I know nothing about the case. I just presume that the evidence is pretty clear cut or or, no, or pretty damning clear as far as like there's a lot of controversy over a shirt that he apparently had that apparently had blood splatter on it but there's a, apparently a fourth amendment controversy and evidentiary controversy about the admissibility of the shirt so um the uh yeah we'll see there's obviously a jury selection case too because been a lot of media attention in south carolina about the case but yeah a little bit i mean it's but down deep it just shows you most prosecutors are sociopathic murderers <laughs> Um, and, and I think Riketa is is happy to be covering that because the uh, Dumpster Brothers case is not going to be uh, is not going to be uh, live streamed from what I understand or, or live broadcast. No televised. Uh, again, I think the whole world would be better if our courtrooms, the world could see. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it, they, they would see what a what a clown. What was the trial that we were just watching? Oh, the the Alex Jones in Connecticut. I mean, every, everybody saw that. Uh, as much as that trial was set up to to produce a result, it still was an utter embarrassment. If not, you know. An outrage, uh, Robert. Do we do a little quick one about the uh, the, the the fireball 
lawsuit. Oh, yeah, sure. That's one of the fun fun cases of the week. But what's so it's it's it seems like a no brainer is that Fireball passes itself off as whiskey. It says I'm I'm looking at a label here. And at here. the says, liquor store, it sells little bottles of cinnamon whiskey. Yeah, it says cinnamon whiskey on it. It's disgusting crap. I don't know who would buy this. And it says whiskey with natural cinnamon flavor. That's Jagermeister. That's the stuff that when it comes up, if it ever comes up, oh my God, does it burn as much coming up as it does going down? And you'll never have cinnamon again for your life. Side note, I was playing poker one time with a friend and he kept on filling up our glasses with lychee martinis and filling it up like it was a cocktail, but not like a cocktail, filling it up like it was Kool-Aid and not a martini. And I'm sitting there drinking, playing poker, and I stand up and it was as though someone had slapped me in the face with drunkenness. Like I went from being normal to being incapacitated drunk. I vomited up the lychee martini all night. I could not smell lychee for the next decade without it uh, really making me want to puke. Go out and enjoy that that whiskey cinnamon. You'll have a similar experience. Don't do it. Drink responsibly. Um, so, the lawsuit is that there, it's not actual whiskey because whiskey is aged, distilled, goes through more regulation. Well, this is malt crap. And it's well, what it's, they're selling in the grocery store. What they've done is so what they're selling in the liquor store is still whiskey. But Fireball got the idea. Why don't we sell it in the grocery store? Now, of course, you can't sell liquor in the grocery mm-hmm. store. So they just sold it and made it look like it was identical to the whiskey bottle they sold at the liquor store. And so people were like, oh, I can get it cheaper at the grocery store, not knowing they weren't buying any whiskey in the, at the grocery store. So just as you know, a malted product, which is not, in fact, has no whiskey in it. Now, the one they sell at the liquor store doesn't have whiskey in it, but the one at the grocery store does not. What's and the- so now they got facing a class action for lying to everybody well so uh, look it's uh, to me that's a no-brainer i mean it's a no-brainer uh, it, what's the um percentage maximum to be sold at grocery stores um mm-hmm. oh it depends like, on the state you know in some states you can sell on different days some states has to be this some states has to be that some states you can only sell at the liquor store some states you can sell some of it at the grocery store it all varies by state no because i think like they they brought the percentage down so they could sell it at, at, at grocery stores not liquor stores uh no brainer but how, how do you sanction like how do you attribute damages to this like what their profits were by misrepresenting it yeah or- I, I presume it'd be unjust enrichment kind of claim the uh, uh that people wouldn't have bought it if they would have known that it wasn't whiskey uh now their excuse is going to be that if you look closely at the label only the word cinnamon was at the grocery store, whereas cinnamon <laughs> whiskey is at the liquor store. Bull crap. That's passing off on their own product. Like, oh, yeah. No, no. It's, it's, we made it look exactly like the one you already know that you get that you like, but it's just lower quality and not the same product at all. Um, no, okay. they're selling like a mini bottle. So you had to have like a microscope to see that the whiskey was missing from the label. Well, that, that, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. Um, and that's like calling your, your, your wine. Uh, uh, my father was involved in a case where they were calling wine um, – Bordeaux, but it, you know it's not the actual certified. They they had like a name that was confusingly similar. Uh, Robert, let's the, the 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 bring it back home to Florida. Uh, DeSantis, what's this this lawsuit? You're going to need to flesh out the nuances here because if anyone were to read the coverage of um, him being vindicated after having fired a prosecutor or dismissed a prosecutor, the the coverage of the judgment literally said DeSantis loses. And then when you read inside the, 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 the article, it says, but the judge sided with DeSantis. He, um, he, he fought what he, he, he suspended or he terminated, fired a prosecutor on the basis that, among other things, the prosecutor said, I'm not going to prosecute um, abortion, abortion crimes or, or I'm not going to enforce certain abortion laws, among other things. Um, state attorney, sorry. Um, DeSantis fires him. Uh, he then sues for First Amendment violations 
And the judge basically says, this was a First Amendment violation, but uh, you could have been terminated for other reasons, so I can't intervene. And, and DeSantis uh, ultimately wins, even though he's a bad, bad man. Is that, is that about right? Yeah. So, I mean, on both sides, we read the liberal media. They misrepresented what took place. A lot of conservative media. They were like, DeSantis wins big. They misrepresented what took place. The court was a hostile court. The court went and attacked DeSantis all the way through, but found, as you note, for legal reasons, because DeSantis had at least six different grounds that he cited for terminating him. And this is what's called a mixed cause case. So the law varies by jurisdiction on this, state, federal, and between the circuits, which is what happens if somebody fires you? Part of their motivation is not legal. Part of their motivation is. Different courts have different rules. But in the 11th Circuit, the rule is if there's any motivation that was permissible, then you can't sue for the firing. And the, and the judge's point was four of the six reasons he cites, he has the legal right to do. And the even if it might have violated state law, I, as a federal judge, am not empowered to issue relief for a state law violation. So the judge takes lots of pot shots at DeSantis that I thought were excessive. Like he pretends there was no policy against certain prosecutions, despite the prosecutor making statements to that exact effect. This is the, well, you hadn't reduced it to a written policy defense. So a lot of what the judge said I thought was wrong. Uh, it was a legal win for DeSantis, not quite a political full win for DeSantis, partial win, partial loss politically, but legally a full win because he has the legal right to fire the guy. And the guy, in fact, in my view, was breaking the law in ways the federal judge pretended otherwise. Is it one of those cases where less would have been more? Like, did DeSantis need to motivate yes. the firing? He needed to. He needed well, to but he wanted for he wanted the political bounty, the political benefit of publicly firing this guy for a whole bunch of reasons, and he wanted those reasons as part of his public record so that he could uh, politically benefit from it. And so the uh, and that's uh, that you know so th that was inevitable in this context. All right, because he's not running for president, Robert. Right? No, no, he's not. That's my view. Everybody's thinking he's going to. I'm, I'm still skeptical. Oh, yeah. So you, you, I, I was being, I was being facetious. So you, you actually do not think he's going to run? No, no, no. He was only going to run if Trump, for some reason, did not. Well, this is a good segue into the Trump crap, um, Robert. The, the the documents, the classified documents, uh, appointing, um, well, not a special master, sorry, a special prosecutor to the Biden classified leaks. First, I just want to I want to stop right here and just say that Karine Jean-Pierre is the worst press secretary in the history of America. Like in retrospect, I now like Jen Psaki compared to Jean-Pierre. It's it, watching Jean-Pierre on the you would the, uh, circle back to Jen well, Psaki, but at least at least you know, circle back and and you know I'll be waiting. You won't get there, but at least I'll be thinking you're going to get there. Watching uh, Jean-Pierre is like watching that that uh, Canadian politician at the beginning of the show just. Listen to your question and just give you a different answer. Um, this is this is a serious, serious scandal. Robert. We talked about it a lot last week. I don't know what more developments there have been. Did we talk about the special prosecutor that has been appointed and his uh, connections to the administration? Uh, I mean, we just mentioned it briefly, that it's a special prosecutor that's a captured counsel that's highly unlikely to fully vet. But there were more documents coming out. Basically, every time they stumble into any place that Joe <laughs> Biden has lived or been, they find more <laughs> classified documents. It's like they'd be stuck on your shoe if you walked through his house by accident. I mean, it's that, that's how many class, classified documents from his Senate period and his VP period that he had. And then and they're trying to pretend they're not classified, which is interesting. It's like they may be legally right. Maybe these were at some point declassified. It's just he could have only done it now. He could have only done it now while he is president because he couldn't declassify them as vice president in most cases. Definitely couldn't have as Senate.
but uh, well, Senate, forget that. I, I, I don't. Well, unless the president could have declassified them back in the day, he, Obama. Oh yeah, Obama could have, uh, and he could have himself once he's president. That's that's true. Obama could have declassified them. So the uh, but they were trying to say, well, there's classified markings on them, and I was like, that's interesting because in Trump's case, when Trump said they were declassified despite them having classified markings, you said that didn't matter. Suddenly now Biden says that oh, oh declassified markings mean nothing. So it, like I said, whoever exposed this, more evidence came out supporting the thesis that uh, proposed last week on the show, which was that this was a white hat intermediary actor. That I mean, it turns out Chief of Staff Ron Klain is going to have to resign because of his complicity. So what happened is they planned on. Why is why is Klain resigning? I, I mean, I, I try to read it. I don't understand. It's just like, OK, well, we're embarrassed. So somebody's got to resign. What, what's he purported to have done that merits his resignation? He led the cover up at the White House of this information from public disclosure. Okay. That's purportedly the, the backstory. And that rather than him being outed and put on the hot seat and everybody know he did that, he's just stepping down before the heat can come on. And he'll cash in, by the way, like Jen Psaki. He'll get a nice fat contract because he knows everybody at the White House. I mean, that's the best way to be chief of staff. Be there for a couple of years and then go cash in while you, while the president's still there so you can make all the money. So the I'm not sure he's going to be hurt that much. But what it shows is uh, uh, there was a sophisticated effort to cover it all up. Somebody along the chain got wind of it, leaked it to the press, uh, and that's what sort of created the issue. Now, Mark Robert has a different thesis that was along my earlier thesis that they would try to take Biden out in some ways. And he thinks this is part of an escalating effort to remove Biden. And maybe it is. Uh, but the uh, but you legally the now my view is I have the same defense for Biden that I had for Trump, which is that I think this is all overblown. Um, now, the only difference would be this. If he was using classified documents, sharing them with his son and family members in order to monetize access to that information, that would be a whole different animal. Um, I yes, or if his son had gotten them, and or if someone else had gotten them because his son did something and what and and oh, because his son uh, was banging random hoes. Well, but his his son is was his son actually paying fifty thousand a month for this house, or did he just say he was for the purposes of some application? Like, well, well I, that's where let's we'll see if Republicans do meaningful here. I mean, the Democrats set the precedent. Get all the tax records. Those are now public records, apparently. So if those are the po- those are the new rules. Well, the yeah. new rules get the tax records, get the financial records, get the bank records. Did huh? Who was Hunter getting paid by? And how often was he given kicking up ten percent to the big guy? Because that looks like money laundering in exchange for access to classified information and other information, monetizing access to his father, the senator, his father, the vice president. Uh, that in ways that probably jeopardize national security. If we take the confession through projection filter and look at everything they accuse Trump of, that would be exactly what Hunter Biden is guilty of. This is my other question, Robert. I, first of all, I, I agree, and I think 100%. Second question, you know, they, they tell Biden's lawyers to stop looking for documents, and they continue to do it nonetheless. And some people suggest that that indicates um, interference or obstruction. I'm sure they're going to argue it's just it's just um, uh, assistance. Are, are they actually like are they defying any sort of Department of Justice order uh, by doing that by continuing to look for documents? And is the real possibility that they are finding them for the purposes of collaborating and removing stuff that they might not want um, anybody to see? Still, that's possible. Uh, I'm going to read one one Rumble Rant, Robert, because you're going to like it. Grunt 167, my name is Robert, and I'm a milkaholic. I can't stop drinking milk from AmosMillerOrganicFarm.com. Best uh, milk in the world. Farm fresh, right from the farm. 
And I'm going to read, I'm screen grabbing all of the Rumble rants. I'm going to do it during a Locals Live tomorrow, so we're going to get to those. Um, okay, Robert, what do we move on to now? Oh, we got uh, the Second Amendment cases, so we got a bunch. Okay, go, go for it. I mean, I, I know the one that the Supreme Court is not intervening on an interlocutory basis to, to um, stay application of these new regulations that New York imposed after the Supreme Court victory to, to um, circumvent the Second Amendment victory that that Supreme Court decision was. New York comes in and says, we're going to make new legislation. It's going to create safe spaces in a variety of areas. It's going to create incredibly onerous bookkeeping obligations for gun sellers, which they say is going to put them out of business if they have to go through with this. Supreme Court says, we're not adjudicating on the merits yet, but we're not granting interim relief. Uh, what, what, what did I miss and what more uh, is there to that? <coughs> the other one was two cases out of Illinois. First was Illinois tried to pass a big gun ban, and a whole bunch of sheriffs throughout the state said, no thanks, we're not obeying this. We think this violates the Constitution. They filed suit, and they got an injunction against the uh, initial enforcement of that gun ban. Uh, the other case in Illinois, Seventh Circuit, re-reversed a federal district court dismissal because what had happened was if you were a daycare provider, again, they love to link licensures and taxes and federal funding to ways to control people in ways the Constitution is not supposed to allow. But here what they said is if you operate a daycare, you can't have a gun in, on the premises anywhere, uh, even for security purposes. Uh, so they some daycare owners sued. And said, uh, including because you also have home daycare places, places there where people are in their home. So if they were going to operate a daycare from their home, they had to remove all guns from them. They're like, this violates our Second Amendment rights. District court dismissed. Seventh Circuit said, in light of Bruin, the Supreme Court, the, the big Supreme Court decision reversing the New York's laws, you, the federal district court needs to reevaluate this to see whether, in fact, this conforms to the Second Amendment under the Bruin precedent. So that's a promising case. What's, um, what's, the, what's the Bruin precedent for those who don't know? I, I know so Heller. Bruin, but I... Bruin was the case that reversed at the end of last year, reversed okay. the New York law. Uh, and most importantly, it established a new framework for all Second Amendment cases. Um, that have, like most much of the New York law has already been enjoined by a range of courts. Not all of it has. Uh, and there's been a range of injunctions issued throughout the country against a range of laws uh, in this context. And we're just seeing, and this is just the latest example of another law that will be reevaluated in light of Bruin, uh, hopefully productively. And then, but it, it hasn't stopped the ATF from trying to redefine what is and isn't a gun in order to basically make a criminal out of half the country. And so that's going to go right into the federal court process. We'll discuss that in more detail once the lawsuit gets filed challenging it. My understanding is that's imminent. So once that's filed, we'll break it down in, in, in more detail. Uh, but trust me, a lawsuit is coming on what the ATF has done. Remember the ATF's determination. Uh, the rule set on bump stocks got enjoined by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. The ATF's attempts to redefine guns in other contexts got enjoined by other federal courts. So this is just the latest effort of the ATF, and it is likely to be overturned again by the court system because the ATF doesn't respect uh, the Second Amendment. All right. Uh, interesting. Robert, they can't find the leaker. They can't find. They can find uh, a grandma in Alaska. They can find. I, I, they can find everybody, and they can find them eighteen months later. Uh, they're 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 pressing charges against uh, military members for their role in January in January six for being there for like a half an hour. Yeah, that's even if nothing. you could. They, they they got they got subpoenas to to uh, get access to their Facebook pages. Uh, the guy's name is Coomer, which is a, uh, an unfortunate name, not because of what it means to be a Coomer, but because of the other Coomer there from Dominion. Um, they can find all of those people and they can deploy all the resources on God's green earth. 
They can't find the leaker, Robert, either because there's too many or because they're not looking uh, or because it it might be the justice himself. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm saying that. What, what's your take? Is it because there's too many people, too many suspects, they don't want to find them or it's the judge himself? The, well, I think you were you on Megyn Kelly about this? No, I didn't talk about this on Megyn Kelly. I was talking Alec Baldwin and uh, we were going to talk. Ah, about OK, yeah. So the uh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's what I predicted out of the gate uh, was that they were not going to ever identify this leaker and definitely not ever prosecute the leaker because it's who and what the Supreme Court is. The, the first evidence of this was the Supreme Court's refusal to allow any outside investigative service involved. The, the U.S. Marshals are under the court's control, court's jurisdiction. Anybody with any experience with the Marshals know they don't rattle the judge's chains. Um, they'll do what the judges say, even when it's flatly illegal, U.S. Marshals will still do it. I experienced this firsthand with one of the nicest U.S. Marshals I've ever known, who engaged in illegal conduct on behalf of the federal judge uh, during a criminal trial. It, it involved ex parte communications by the judge to the jury the, that he only confessed at the end of the case after the verdict came in because he was afraid one of the jurors was going to rat him out. The, uh, but he was known as Maximum Moody, and he ended up uh, giving a minimum sentence to my client because, because he got caught doing it. But the... Uh, so it was not, no surprise. I mean, as you note, if they were serious, they could have pulled email files, phone files, social media files. They would have found who this is without it's, any problem. First of all, I, I don't recall how was the, the, the draft leaked. Was it a hard copy or was it digitally? Because either way, there are very, very easy ways of narrowing it down, pinpointing it, time, location. When was it printed? When was it? It's inconceivable. It's inconceivable that it, they can't identify the leaker. The only question then is why? Are they going to say we don't want... Open source intelligence people on the internet have identified the likely leaker. And yet the U.S. Marshals and the Supreme Court just can't find him. So the it's because it implicates uh, justices, and, and, and they don't want those justices implicated. It's that simple. Despite how embarrassing and humiliating it was, it was predictable uh, that, that, that this would be the inevitable and inescapable outcome. Also, it's for a secondary reason. Reason why the court wanted to keep exclusive control over this is they didn't want to see how often justices leak to the media all the time, including one chief justice, Roberts. He is infamous in Washington for talking off the record to the press about pending cases. That's uh, th This is one of those hush-hush theories, Robert, that I very much, uh, I, I, can be, I can be very easily persuaded by. That's, that's phenomenal. And that's it. So it's just, it's just done. Everyone move on. We don't know who killed Epstein. I'm sorry. Epstein killed himself. Uh, we don't know who did it. Uh, uh, one story. of the three eternal truths. Epstein didn't kill himself. Sally Yates is still corrupt. And we all know what that third eternal truth is. It, I forgot now, Robert. Always in oh. writing, never in cash. Or was it something? Oh, okay. it, it, it's a, it, it leaves it. It's a, it's a Trump technique. So the Trump always say, we all know what this is, right? And he lets everybody's imagination <laughs> go to where it could be. Sally Yates is corrupt. Epstein didn't kill himself. And the third one is something that everybody down deep knows to be true. For the love of God, I'm going, you're, I'm going senile. I'm going to the chat here. Nine. Someone says, okay, I can't, I'm not reading that one. Um, well, oh, it, was yeah, like, it, was my, it was my favorite uh, closing argument story from an old school L.A. lawyer who also explained to me how corrupt the complex court division was in, in California. But he said that, uh, 
uh, which I was shocked at by the, at the time, and how connect, it was connected to corrupt corporate arbitrations. But he said that the, the, the his best ever closing argument was a case where his client was completely guilty. He was like, I couldn't even think of a defense. And so I just went up to the jury and said, we all know what really happened. We all know my client is innocent. He sits down. The jury came back and acquitted. And they were all debating him. Hey, was it this? We all thought it was this. We thought it was that. That was the That's genius best. of it. Robert, what was it? Trump won? Is that is that the is that third eternal truth? What is it, Robert? <laughs> that, that that that's the goal of it. If you if you never define oh my it, God. you know what I've, I've, you describe it, you let each individual take pick their own. We've done this for so long now. I thought we filled the third eternal truth. We have I, I, all occasionally this. should I say this could be a third eternal truth. Oh, geez, Louise. Okay, because I, I, I I'm just going senile. That's that's the bottom line. I blame the kids. Um, all right, Robert, what, what I'm going to our list. What have oh, we not my favorite, to? One of my favorite little eclectic topics. Uh, you know, briefly on the elections, Kerry Lake's appeal is still pending. A.G. Hamada has found some more provisional ballots that suggest he may have won in Arizona for attorney general's position. That is still pending in the courts. Uh, and a good right to sue case over election laws about standing uh, was found in the 10th Circuit that said, yes, because of the First Amendment implication on election laws, you do have the right to sue. Uh, and you do have standing to sue, which is good. There's a crazy standing case we'll get to in a second. But one of my favorite topics of this week was what happens when AI gets involved in the law? There's actually going to be a robot lawyer that's going to like defend a case in court, apparently, coming up. I just saw the headline. I didn't read the details. Also, AI is being sued because an AI company is taking art and using it and creating AI alternatives to train its AI to help train other artists. And the artists are suing saying, hold on a second, that AI work you're doing, that's just derivative of my work and without paying me or compensating me. And so the question, you know, and, and they're trying to use the AI exception as if it's its own creation uh, for the, the work. So that, that'll be an interesting suit to follow because in all these contexts, you know, what, for example, could you sue, was it chat GPT or whatever it's called? Yeah. Could you sue them if they defame you? Right. What if they repeat a statement that's actually false in response to somebody's question? Could you sue the AI or the AI owner? And then what happens? What if AI uh, did something legally wrong? How do you determine legal intent in the case of AI, artificial intelligence? Do you judge it by its algorithm? Do you judge it by its creator, by its owner, by its profiteer? Uh, or by it itself. I mean, how, how do you measure intent in AI cases? I, I'd, I'd go with all, all of the above, except for the last one, the, the creator, the program, the creator, the programmer, and those who make money off of it. I mean, th those are the only ones who can oh, ha somebody have any did money point to out The actual third eternal truth is there is no milk better than the fresh farm <laughs> milk from <laughs> AnusMillerOrganicFarm.com. That's what I thought the joke was going to be. I, no, and people saying 9-11 was – that's that has never been the third eternal truth. But I know that a lot of people – Oh man! Once you go back and and reanalyze history with what you now know, uh, what's what's the latest on the vaccine front, Robert? Uh, yeah, several different ones. I mean, the the military has reversed its vaccine mandate, with one exception, it uh, with two exceptions. One, it's not reinstating people; it's already disciplined. That that will go forward in the federal lawsuits. It's also continuing to impose it on reserves, and so that will continue to be litigated in the reserves context. Context. Um, the Second aspect, as was one of the questions uh, in the replies uh, on the Sunday topics poll at vivabarneslaw.locals.com, was what about uh, the use of vaccines in our food supply? 
Um, and the, 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 uh, that's going to be its own question. And what they're going to try to do is induce farmers to, uh, to pro to, to do so. And then say, my meat is safer because it's vaccinated. Um, and so now there's some doubts about the ability, whether that could cause the vaccine to leak into a person by consuming that food. There's disputes about whether that could actually happen. There's plenty of people that say, no, it can't happen. There's other people think it could. So there's that issue. I would say you know, legally, whether or not you can sue is whether or not they mandate it as opposed to just recommend it. Mm-hmm. That will be you could potentially sue. It kind of relates to all the Amos Miller cases about when do I get to pick my own? When is I as a farmer get to decide how my meat is made? When do I as a consumer get to decide what I consume? And when is the government control and dictate that? So, Robert, I, I want to on that subject. I just want to bring this up. It, it's it. Some of you might already know it, but it's new to me. mRNA technology might have the uh, ability, the potential to repair, regenerate cardiac tissue. So it causes you a heart attack, and then you can go buy it to fix the heart attack. Robert, who do, who's who's developing this? AstraZeneca and Moderna are developing it. Moderna, the one that has a one, what was it? A one in 15 in 10,000 case of, of uh, adverse events. Uh, was Even worse. Elon Musk was pointing out that he had adverse events yeah, from the I, vaccine. I, I, I his cousin had adverse events from the vaccine. Uh, but, uh, but don't worry, guys. mRNA technology that damaged your heart is there to to, to repair your heart. Sure. And the company that's the best that thing in the world, it. isn't it? The product that causes the problem that causes you to buy another product from the same company. From the same company, um, there was that. Okay. Oh, and Robert, I'll, I'll just read a few of the um, the the tips in our in our vivabarneslaw.locals.com. Uh, community slim chat that's going on right now live chat there's 273 people there 273 slim underscore shagan one dollar tip says is amos posting this and there's a link to amos farms pam walker miller organic farm.com you're gonna like you're gonna get that tattooed on you one of these days robert access to classified info equals treason doesn't it says pam walker plant nerd says biden out kamala out yelling in they want a cbdc uh, central, central bank, bank digital, digital currency, currency. Yep. Uh, just like Rishi in the UK, gonna buy, gonna gonna be a central banker type. Uh, then you got FYI USA Now says watch died suddenly on Rumble.com. USA Now has another few up there. Uh, Slim Shagan uh, says I hope Nikki Haley runs for president so she can see how much people see through her facade. And there's a bunch more which I guess I'm gonna have to screen grab. And then there's a meme of Robert saying clean your room, Viva. <laughs> oh, not, not, not the no. that went through dog shit. Oh, God. We got was... a couple other quick cases to Go cover. Uh, one, the Trump lawyers were sanctioned almost a million dollars. for. Uh, is, uh, supposedly those other lawyers ex- cost them a million dollars to produce a motion to dismiss. Really? It was a Clinton appointee. And what was the case? It was Trump suing Hillary Clinton. So really, it was a judge being a political hack misusing and abusing his power. Another reason why I think we should pass laws that prohibit judges from issuing monetary judgments without a trial by jury. That should already be there in my view. And it's what the Seventh Amendment is supposed to be about, but the courts are ignoring it. So we got to make it crystal clear because this is why we cannot give judges this power to issue monetary sanctions without jury approval because that would stop all this nonsense. He's weaponizing his political control over licensure, over monetary sanctions of parties and lawyers to, for his political point to, to, uh, to, to support the, the political family that put him in power in the first place. An embarrassing ruling that hopefully the 11th Circuit overturns, but who knows these days. 
There's a big, uh, the ongoing battle that we talk about between religious institutions and wokeism went to a federal court because about 40 LGBTQ plus whatever the latest alphabet is uh, sued a bunch of religious schools, but were particularly suing the government on the, because Title IX has an exception in it. Title IX, Gorsuch mentioned this in his decision uh, that a lot of people were upset about, but Gorsuch pointed out this won't apply to religious institutions because Title IX exempts religious institutions from any of the gender discrimination laws to the degree their religious tenets require their behavior. So they were doing this because there's some religious institutions that segregate by gender. There's some that are only men, or only women, so on and so forth. Some that are, you know, don't recognize gender identity. Some that are opposed to uh, gay behavior, uh, so forth. So a bunch of them sued saying, this is outrageous. This is an equal protection violation. This is a violation of the, the Title IX exception shouldn't even exist. And if it does exist, it should be limited. Federal court said no. The government has an interest in protecting First Amendment rights of religious affiliation, association, and expression. And that interest justifies exempting them from the laws governing gender and gender identity. And religious educational institutions, as long as they meet the legal definition of it, do not have to abide by the gender identity rules that wokeness is trying to impose on people. So it was a a very good uh, decision. Hunter was the the case. And uh, so that was a good one. Gamers are suing Microsoft on a nice grounds. Microsoft is trying to buy Activision that's had its own set of issues over Me Too issues and harassment issues and other issues. The issue is that basically this would give Microsoft near monopoly power in a bunch of the gaming space. So a bunch of smart gamers got together and sued and said, this is an antitrust violation. We don't want Microsoft determining our entire large parts of our video game enterprise. And we know where that's going to go. That's going to go in a real woke direction, given where Microsoft is under the vestigial legacy influence over by Bill Gates. Uh, so a uh, good suit. Hopefully the antitrust laws get enforced. Uh, we'll we'll see if they do. Uh, those are probably two of the higher profile cases. One of the crazier cases was here in Las Vegas. A school teacher, drama teacher, signed a project. Said, hey, all the students, you write your own dialogue. And then we'll have some other student read and perform your dialogue in our theater class. Well, one student wrote a bunch of lesbo stuff. Well, that was like pornographic. So obscene, the school board said it couldn't be read at the school board meeting. And another student, apparently maybe a religious student, not sure, young girl, it's like, okay, I guess I have to read this for class. And then her mom found out and she said, you read what for class? And brought suit saying maybe school teachers shouldn't be giving pornographic assignments to young teenage girls. Robert, that reminds me of one that I just, a a suit that I just became aware of in in Quebec where there was an assistant teacher who um, was grading essays, the subject of which was, give us examples of, of racist rhetoric throughout history. The teacher was black, I presume. And the answers were apparently so offensive on a few of the exams that she sued the school for damages, the university for damages, for psychological distress. And they were ordered to pay her $4,000 for the psychological distress of having to have read racist answers to an essay question, which from what I understood was, give us examples of racist rhetoric throughout history. Robert, well, actually, I mean, speaking of, crazy cases involving psychic damages. So there was a case that's currently pending potentially before the U.S. Supreme Court, taken up by Jay Sekulow and others on an amicus and other basis, where in Florida there was a school shooting in Ocala. And so the local authorities said, let's have a uh, let's have a prayer rally for everybody. 
And a couple of uh, commie, probably atheists from nearby Gainesville, uh, said went to it, wondering if they would be offended. And they listened to the uh, some of the prayers and like that sounds like religious prayers. So they sued. Now I'm not a fan of standing in general, but this goes to my point about how hypocritical courts are. It was like, what exactly was their injury here? And they said they were psychically damaged. <laughs> No actual emotional distress, just psychically damaged by hearing religious prayers at a known prayer rally. And so it's up for the Supreme Court. It's like, how is that standing? But when I sue the FDA with Bobby Kennedy, they keep saying every court, nope, no standing, no standing. Even for people who have been injured, people who've suffered bad, who've lost their jobs, people who've lost their position, people uh, people who've been misled, people who no longer trust any drugs at all. Mm -hmm. Apparently none of that's a cognizable injury. Children's Health Defense, which has diverted massive amounts of resources to try to fight this nonsense. Oh, that's not an injury. But somebody who goes to a prayer rally, who hears a prayer and suffers a psychic injury, somehow that is standing to sue. So we'll see how that turns out. Robert, uh, someone in the vivabarnslaw.locals.com chat um, posted a screen grab from Jack Posobiec, which said that um, the, the, the surviving Silk sister, I forget her name, stood in front of Trump and told him the vaccine killed Diamond and there needs to be an investigation into why people are suddenly dropping dead. I, I, did, I saw clips of what she said. Her name is um, Lynette Hardaway, uh, was the sister. I saw clips. Do you know? Did, I'll, I'll look into this tonight and talk about it tomorrow. But did I she think she implied that that was the she, case right in front of Trump. Yeah, and, like and she, she implied people, it from what I understood. Not, she didn't specifically say it, which right, I, right, why not exactly just, come right. out, just come out and say it um, so that people saw Probably because Trump was present. Um, so the, but I mean, like, uh, some people are being critical of Trump for like some of the statements and other things that, that he, he agreed to pay for the whole funeral and heavily, you know, proposed it so that, that, that there's grounds to criticize Trump is uh, one of them is not criticizing a man who steps forward and some a couple that was very loyal to them that doesn't have lots of money and pays for a, a, a grandiose, uh, funeral procession. That, that's not when you criticize Trump. So God bless Pedro and some others, but that's, that, that's very, yeah. that, that's not kosher. Um, now, uh, on the vaccine front, Disney is being sued on the grounds that they are so deeply in bed with the Biden administration and so historically tied to the defense department that their vac, that their vaccine mandate was really along my theories or borrowing my theory from the Tyson case Mm -hmm. that they're a state actor. And so it'll be interesting to see how that case progresses and proceeds. I think it's a, it's a tough reach given how the courts are limiting that definition of state actor. But uh, but it, it's uh, I'm glad people are pursuing it. And, and there's a bunch of other grounds they're suing Disney for, of course, under Florida state law, federal violations. Disney basically completely ignored uh, the uh, religious accommodations for people under their vaccine mandate policy shows who and what Disney really is. Um, a, a Vernon Jones was a politician who decided to sus- uh, suspend some people he didn't like on Facebook, but he did so from his official account. And another court found that violates your civil rights. So if a politician is out there blocking you, you can sue. And this court found you can get up to eight grand in personal damages plus legal fees uh, just for the privilege. So there's a little FYI on that. Uh, Another Supreme Court case involved that they may take involves people are being sentenced in America's federal courts for conduct they were acquitted of. The jury found them not guilty of it. And the judge says, I'm going to pretend you are guilty and sentence you as if you were convicted. And hopefully the U.S. Supreme Court finally takes the case. A bunch of former federal judges have filed an amicus brief in the case saying this is outrageous. This is a Sixth Amendment violation. 
You should not be criminally sentenced based on conduct for which you were acquitted. And definitely, I mean, I don't think you should be sentenced for any conduct you weren't convicted of. But at a minimum, it shouldn't be for conduct you get acquitted of. Um, and we'll see how that goes. And then a decent Pennsylvania case, redefining aiding and abetting to say, if you aid and abet a fraud, you can be sued for it, but you have to have actual knowledge of it. Now, one little footnote to this. Why did the court suddenly express concerns about the misapplication of aiding and abetting law when they've been ignoring it for decades? Because this was a lawsuit against banks. And all of a sudden, the courts were like, oh, hold on a second. Banks getting sued for aiding and abetting fraud? They could probably all be bankrupt because that's all they do is aid and abet fraud. By golly, let's limit the definition of aiding and abetting now that uh, now that the banks are involved. It's still good legal principle, but it tells you somehow how the politics makes the law. And um, Robert, what's the schedule for this week? Do we have a sidebar for Wednesday? Are you making any appearances in well, the upcoming week? Uh, I have no scheduled appearances. I don't, I don't think for this week, it's just uh, bourbon, uh, with Viva Barnes law but we might have a special guest this week and we might actually return the favor and be a special guest on his show. The one, the only Alexander Emmerich Jones wants to return to sidebar. Boo. Yeah. And I, okay. It's going to be good. Oh, so many questions. So many questions. Okay. So we might do that Wednesday night. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm getting a confirmation for him on time. Okay, beautiful. And, and we'll probably do maybe even a, like a long interview on one of his shows at some point this week too. A hundred percent game uh, for everybody out there. I'm always reluctant to confirm it because if something happens, I don't want anyone thinking there's bad stuff happening. Jimmy Dore should be happening Thursday at three o'clock. Oh, that'd um, be fantastic. It'll, it'll be, I, I've been, I've been boning up on Jimmy Dore. That sounds terrible. We've had some I've big been, sidebars, you know. I mean, I mean, uh, with uh, Glenn Greenwald, with uh, Joel Salatin, with it, uh, the uh, uh, Robert. We have we have an amazing library. It's like this. This will live on, and if it's it just it's value added. Jimmy Dore is amazing. We didn't sell it all in a deal to sell our souls <laughs> to the Daily Wire. I, I, I want everyone to know that, like, uh, people think I, I've somehow like you know caved in for sponsors. The deal with Rumble. Nobody asks me anything, and, and by the way, I would have I would have taken issue with it because nobody's going to tell me what you know what I can and can't say. And if the worst thing is, you know, you, you get the privilege of sponsoring a product that you use anyhow. This was not a sponsor for tonight. Um, hey, that's a blessing. That's not a curse. And if people think that somehow you're less beholden to crowdfunding than to sponsorships, anybody telling you what to think and pressuring you for saying something, that's pressure. Uh, I, I I I I'm I'm the free dog who's might be skinnier than the uh, leashed animal. Robert, I don't think we need a white pill because I think this has been a pretty optimistic episode, but give us, uh, give us a white pill for the week. You know, whenever I need a white pill, when I ever need a, a sort of a, a reuptake to re-energize myself, to feel good about the world, uh, support a great family farm operation operating by traditional operation, I get myself some fresh milk straight from the farm, AmosMillerOrganicFarm.com, best white pill you can have all week. That's going to be a pinned link, everybody. If anybody wants to go support Jeremy McKenzie on the Give, Send, Go, you're not supporting an individual you might dislike on a personal level. You are opposing the implementation of a regime that is going to bite everyone in the ass. It's not what we want in Canada. You're opposing debanking. P opposing debanking. They're going to, and they try to get away with it on a, on, a, on a loathed individual. I don't think Jeremy's that bad, despite the stupid things that he said. They try to get away with it there so that it can become the rule. City of God, the first time is the rule, the second time is the exception, the third time the exception becomes the rule, and they're trying to make a rule of the exception of debanking. Jeremy, it's, what is it, givesendgo.com slash McKenzie, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. 
Uh, go do it. Everybody, one heck, of an, one heck of an episode. It will be on podcast tomorrow. Clips will be out on Viva Clips. I will be live tomorrow. I will do the locals live to cover the Rumble rants. Thank you all for being here. See you within the next 12 hours, people. <laughs>